World's Finest Podcast, Episode 10. As always, I'm James Doe, and with me is Michael David Sims. Hello. How are things with you? It's a little warm over here. You know, I think I've said it before, either on this podcast or on Earth Student at the show, but of course, when we're recording, I can't have the air conditioner running because it's going to be humming in the background, so just kind of got to suffer through it, you know? Yeah, we've actually had some very nice weather here for the last few days, amazingly. So so have we, but it started to warm up today. And it's supposed to cool down in a little bit, like an hour or two, so I'm hoping, you know, by the end of this podcast, I won't be as warm. But we have a ton of email to go through. I'm just going to dive right in here. Uh, This one's from Nicholas. We've heard from him many times. He says, in Day of the Samurai, I never got the vibe that Euro Sensei knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. He just simply said, you can't hide a warrior spirit behind your Playboy image. So he just knows that the billionaire Playboy identity is not him, and aside from keeping his Batman identity a secret from friends and family he cares about, it's also there to protect the people that trained him. I like that. Now, we obviously disagree with this because in the show we said we think that Euro Sensei was just kind of being cryptic in that sort of you know, martial arts way mm-hmm. that, oh, yes, I, I will protect your secret, Wayne San, that, that kind of thing. I mean, he's not a he's not a dumb guy. I mean, he's figured it out. Bruce Wayne's in Japan. Batman's in Japan. Two plus two equals four. Yeah, that's basically the way I feel about it. I mean, why else would he say those things to Bruce about Batman if he didn't know that they were the same person. It just doesn't add up. He has to know, but it's one of those things that, where it, he's just not going to say it. It doesn't need to be said. Um, let's see. And then he continues, In the review of Heart of Steel, you say that it was a mistake for Bruce to leave Randa at the mansion to carry out her mission, and that he shouldn't do that. And then he goes on to basically say that Batman isn't perfect, and sometimes he's going to make mistakes like that. Uh, how do you feel about that, James? No. Uh, Batman is not going to make a mistake that big. He's he's investigating this company, and he knows that somebody in that company, maybe more than one pe- person in that company, is causing all these things to happen at Wayne Tech. So he's not going to leave somebody who he considers a prime suspect in his mansion by herself. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it was it was a major flub on the on the writer's part when, when they did that. I mean, they backed themselves into a corner. Randa had to get into the cave... But and Batman had to continue his investigation, so the easiest way to do that was to bring her into the house. But they had to separate the two for everything to play out. But it just it just didn't make sense the way they did it. I mean, frankly, I don't know. They really just should have had Randa just break into the mansion, just yeah, like just she use... did. The, just like she did, you know, Wayne Enterprises. She should have broken into the mansion, looking for any special files, and then whoops, there's the Batcave. That's how it really should have played out. And you could st- and you still could have got the whole her shocking Alfred scene. He's like, what's going on here? And then zap, and he's down. It, it just plays out a little differently. Yeah, and it, it fits the uh, uh, her uh, character a little, bit, a little bit better, too, I would think. The being more overt and more just 
uh, brutal about it. Yeah, they've shown that she has no problem breaking into a building. So I, they, there was no need to set up the whole date between her and Bruce at all, but whatever. Uh, and then he finishes the email by saying, In Terror in the Sky, excuse me, he says, Terror in the Sky is a nice conclusion to the Manbat story arc. In the review, James says Francine Langstrom is a bitch. Well, if you remember back in On Leather Wings, Kurt said that her and his father-in-law were trying to protect him when they found out. She probably got fed up with it because it was the most horrible-slash-traumatic experience for her. So she doesn't want to go through it all over again, and she honestly believed that Batman and Kurt had cured Kurt of Manbat, is how he finishes the email. Now, Basically, he's addressing you here, James, so I'll let you handle this one. Well, it's like we uh, had discussed at one point, I believe. If there had been another Man Bat episode in between these two to ch- you know chain them together, it would have it it, ha- it would have flown uh, flown flowed better. Excuse me. Um, but as it goes here, it's like okay, we've got on leather wings, great episode, and then we go to this episode, and all of a sudden. Francine out of nowhere. This was just in the middle. It was like, what was it, about six or seven minutes into the episode? Thereabout, wasn't? yeah. Yeah, and it out of nowhere, she just goes, I cannot take this anymore, whatever she said. So, it just seemed out of nowhere for me. But I, So I think if there was another episode in between there, detailing, you know, maybe revolving more around her, then it would have been better. What you have to remember is that when you're writing stories or you're setting up character beats, you do it in threes. It's always in threes. Look at look at fairy tales. All those things have a three-part element in it. Goldilocks and the three bears. You know, there's the porridge, there's the beds, there's this, there's that. I mean, other stories, it's the same thing. Look at Cinderella. You know, we've got the two stepsisters, and then the shoe finally fits on Cinderella. It's always threes. That's how you set stories up. You know, the first two times it's a certain way, and then on that third time, the mold is broken. And on this third time, the, the mold would have been broken because it was Francine that was man-bat. And that, that would have been the big change, the big reveal in this one, because we would have had two previous episodes where it really was Kurt that was man-bat. So it would only make sense that it was him the third time. But no, it's not. And that would have made it so much better, and it would have given her a reason to go crazy. Because it, it, their formula had failed twice before, and the bat, man bat's back again. Oh, no. And then her screaming, my, I hate my life, I hate you, blah, 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 blah. It works, it works. But because we don't have that, it just seems so out of left field. And uh, Nicholas sent us another email simply entitled Corrections. <laughs> and he says, in Birds of a Feather, when Pierce says, it's, time like the, it's times like these, I don't see why we pay for you people, Gordon gets up, clenches his fist, gets in his face, and says, listen here, you simpering little twit, you are foolish enough to invite the penguin. And then it goes on from there. Um, now, I think that's what I said. But I think you, James, had said that he just simply like leans over the desk, didn't you? I thought that he got up, slammed his hands on the desk, and got in the guy's face, like, over the desk. I'm pretty sure he he does get up, and he, like, backs him into a wall, so, like, away from the desk. Um, and then this was, this last little bit from Nicholas was addressed on the forums. He says the title of the Justice League with the Joker that James mentions is called Wild Cards, and, of course, James, you called it Joker's Wild. Yeah, I, and I've, I mentioned this... Uh on the forums, too. That's the third time I've screwed that up. Sorry. I know. It, and it's one of my favorite Justice League episodes, which makes it more embarrassing for me to screw it up like that. 
So the next email is from Mike, and he says, I to- he says, Hi, guys. I totally agree with your assessment of the Joker's Wild. I hate that episode so much it hurts. It always seems to me that the episodes with the worst stories seem to have the Joker in them because the producers must have felt that the Joker-slash-Batman dynamic would carry the story. Oh, thank you. I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's kind of what we've been saying since the beginning, isn't it? Pretty much so. It's a shame because the Joker is such a special villain to the Batman mythos that it's it's a shame that whenever we see him, most of his episodes are just terrible. Those should be the episodes that are, like, the best. I, 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 I really think he's right here when he just says the producers thought, oh, it's the Joker, people will tune in, and it doesn't matter if it's not the best episode in the world. It's like you said before, they should be few and far between as well. Right. Just Joker episodes in general. Right. I think I said that to you off the air. You know, that's that's exactly how I feel. The Joker should be reserved for those special moments. I mean, look at Batman Beyond. Throughout that whole show, you're waiting. When's the Joker going to come? When's the Joker going to come? And he never shows up throughout the entire cartoon. And then they dedicate a full movie to him. And that made his return so much more important. It resonated with fans because they held back. That's what should have happened here. The Joker is the villain we see the most from start to finish in Batman the Animated Series. That's not how it should have been. He should have had three or four appearances, all of which stood out above all other episodes. And that includes the Two-Face origin, the Mr. Freeze origin, and even stuff like um, uh, Almost Got Him. It should stand out above that one, which I rated a 10 recently. You know, the Joker episode should always be 11s. They should be off the chart. But we're sadly seeing that they're usually like 3s or 4s. Maybe a 5 here and there. Yeah, it just it just irks me that here's this big-time Batman villain, the Batman villain, and it just seems like they didn't put enough time or effort into those scripts because of what Mike said here, because the producers knew they could just rely on, or they thought they could rely on that Batman-Joker dynamic to carry it all. And it's a shame. It's a damn shame, in my opinion. Okay, then Mike continues, and he says, As for Jack Napier, remember in, um, uh, was it Joker's Wild? Where yes, he's was. referred to as Jack Napier? Um, in the file folder. Yeah, he says, uh, let's see. I hate how they use that alias as part of this series. Joker is cool because we don't know who he is. That is what makes him interesting in the first place. It's similar to Boba Fett in Star Wars. When you find out who he is, I feel that Fett lost what makes him interesting. Thank you. Thank you. The Joker is supposed to be that guy that Batman can't figure out. If he could figure out where the Joker's coming from, what his past was, he and the doctors at Arkham could potentially cure the Joker. But they can't. And that's what makes the Joker and so tragic. And that's what makes the Joker Batman dynamic so tragic. Is that no matter what Batman does, it boils down to the fact that he can never be cured. There's nothing that can be done because they don't know what caused his his psychosis here. It's like Batman has said before. It always, ever, and, and I can't remember the episode name, but he says that's how it always happens with with the Joker and myself. Things are unfinished. It's right along those lines. Yeah, you can't give him a name. And now, if you say that that was an alias he used, then that's fine. But you can't come out and say that that's his name. You can't do it. But if you want to say he's used the aliases of Jack Napier, Joe Kerr. Hell, he could have used Bruce Wayne as an alias. I don't care. That's fine. But don't say this is definitely his name. You cannot put a period on it like that because it ruins the relationship and I think it taints the character. 
This next one is from a fellow called Jake. He says, Dear gentlemen, gentlemen. Woo, wow. Thank you, Jake. Makes me, makes me feel like an upstanding member of society. <laughs> Okay, he says, I've been enjoying your program since its first podcast, wow, and up until now, only recently have been able to comment on it. Listening to both of your honest opinions on one of my favorite cartoons has given me such a unique reason to go back and rewatch them again on DVD, if only to notice some of the things I missed the first dozen, dozen of times. <laughs> World's Finest Podcast has become one of, if not the main reason to own an iPod, wow, and I can't well, wait then. to hear what you have to say about the rest of the Bruce Tim animated universe oof wow my heart's a flutter and i mean that uh, i don't even know what to say yeah. <laughs> but, but thank you very, definitely very that's where i guess i should start yeah very much so uh while wow. <laughs> he says while not as acute as you are on catching interesting tidbits and flaws in each individual episode i might have a few trivial things you were unaware of in one of the first poison ivy episodes you brought up the name nightshade remember james i was hemming and hawing about that damn name I remember that. Or he says, you guys were hemming and hawing about it, reminding you of something associated with the DC Universe. Well, it does. In the short-lived Flash television series from the 90s, Nightshade was the name of a pulp hero, and an African-American one at that, who protected Central Cities decades before the Flash arrived. And similar to the Grey Ghost episode, Nightshade actually assisted the Flash when they thought he was well past his prime in several of the episodes. Another thing you might not know is that Roddy McDowell played a villain called the Bookworm in the Adam West Batman show who spoke very much like his Mad Hatter character. I believe he only appeared in one arc during the first season, though. And finally, I thought it was kind of interesting that in Dreams of, Dar Dreams of Darkness, when Bruce is imagining his perfect life, Kevin Conroy and Adrian Barbeau voiced his parents. Of course, that being Batman and Catwoman, right? Right. Uh, let's see. I'm sure there's other things I'm forgetting to mention, but I just wanted to thank you both for one of the most entertaining podcasts out there. You're doing a great service to the fans and the creators of some of the most amazing cartoons ever produced. Sincerely, Jake. And Jake, I'm not going to say your last name because I'm going to butcher it, and I don't want to do that after you wrote such a kind, kind email to us. Thank you very much for this email here. Hey, double for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Oh, okay, we got more. Let's keep them rolling. <laughs> yes. This email is coming from someone in Guadalajara. Uh, her name is Monica. So we have a female listener. All right. Awesome. And she says, uh, first she says, I hope you don't mind my English. And we, we don't mind it at all. As you see, we stumble over our English all the time, and we're supposed to be, you know, native speakers. She says, about the Zeta Project, I don't think you should review it. Yesterday, I watched a rerun, and, all, and it all came back to me. It's a boring show. It's always the same. Zeta doesn't know who he is. They find a clue. The bad guy finds them. They run away. That's it. Maybe that's why it got canceled. That's just my opinion. It is a spin-off, but it's not connected, like Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place, for lack of a better example. And the other quote-unquote controversy, if the Teen Titans are in the universe, I would have to say no, because Robin, Dick Grayson, even if they never said it, is between 13 and 17 years old, so it has to be before Batman the Animated Series, but then how is it possible that the Teen Titans are formed, but not the Justice League? I mean, Superman and Batman haven't met, and Robin is already traveling to another planet. But I wouldn't mind if you reviewed the show. That show is hilarious. Well, that's it. Keep up the good work. And again, her name is Monica. Um, oh, no, I forgot. She has a postscript here. One last thing. How come Talia, the bitch Al Ghul, doesn't recognize Bruce Wayne? Yeah, that is a good point. Bruce Wayne's supposed to be, you know, this 
billionaire playboy known around the world. His face has probably been on, plastered on every newspaper and the social pages and this and that. But when she takes it off, she doesn't really recognize who she, who he is, does does she? She never oh, calls she had, him Bruce, does she? I don't think so. Maybe she has better things to worry about. <laughs> yeah, because what happens, I'm trying to remember, she takes the mask off and he says, like, so you know who I am. And how does she respond? Do you remember? I for the life of me, I don't remember. But the thing is, when she takes the drill away from him near the end of the episode, I think she does know who she is at that point. Right, because doesn't she say, your drill? Yeah. And not Bruce's drill. So, I'm, I'm almost positive she does. So, yeah, so maybe she is just being cryptic. I mean, she's an Al Ghul. She's got, she's always conspiring, just like her father. So maybe she was just kind of uh, playing dumb. Who knows? That's kind of, I think that's kind of the feel I got for that whole episode, is mm-hmm. Tali was playing dumb. And now in this last email, this is sent from another fellow named Mike, not the same one as before. This one, this one, I'm going to say in advance, thank you, Mr. Mike. Thank you very much for this one. James, remember in our last episode, we went on and on about the whole controversy over at the wiki pages about how they deleted all the episode pages for Batman the Animated Series. How could I forget? (laughs) Well, this fellow by the name of Mike... He says, I enjoy listening to your World's Finest podcast show and had heard about your issue with Wikipedia deleting entries. All you need to do is go to Answers.com. They cloned Wikipedia's content and look to still have more of the individual episode pages. So they're still online. Yeah, when he sent me this email, I I went and checked. He embedded a link in the email to uh, the episode Nothing to Fear, and sure enough, there it is. It's still there, so if we need that information, it's right there. Now, my question is, is how often... I always knew that Answers.com was a clone of Wiki, but I don't know how often they update their pages to match Wikis, so I may have to go to Answers.com and download all of those pages before they get deleted. If they get deleted, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, who knows, right? Yeah, because for all I know, they could maybe they update like once a week or once a month. It could be once every six months. I don't know, but I don't want to lose those pages again. But when it comes to the wiki controversy, this is what I want from our listeners. Go to the Batman the Animated Series article at wiki. Then over on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see you know all the information. It'll say 85 episodes, and then there's a little link that says list of episodes. Click that. Once you do that, you'll be taken to the, the episode page where or excuse me, the wiki page where the episodes are listed. At the top, you're going to see a little tab that says discuss this article or something along those lines. I think it says discussion. Okay, discussion, right. Click that, and you're going to see um, just discussions about those articles. Now, this is what I want for our listeners. You can post your thoughts there. There's a section at the bottom that says something like uh, reinstating the episode pages or... Or, or something like that. Go there and express your opinion about it. Just just argue for or against those pages to show the wiki editors that there is a community out there that's willing to fight for those, or if you're against it, to side with them. If you side with them, that's fine. That's your opinion. That's great. Go ahead and do that. But either way, just go to those page and go go to that page and just start a discussion because there's really just one person who's like, this is the way I think it should be. Blah 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 blah. I'm self-important and I'm tired of of reading his entries about it. So, but here's here's the thing I ask of you though: when you do it, don't scream, 
and yell and curse and all this and that because your opinion is just going to be ignored and possibly even deleted. Go in there with coherent arguments as to why those episodes pages should or should not be there. That's all I'm asking from you guys because it needs to be more than me and James. I've seen some other people chime in. I don't know if they're listeners of our show or not. They could just be fans of Batman the Animated Series and the DC Animated Universe, and I'm happy that they're chiming in. But I know that we have a large listenership, and even if just, you know, hell, like 1% of you went there and started making a case for or against it, it's going to sway it one way or the other. So that's what I'm asking for you. Now I'm going to pretty much carbon copy what he said and just... With, when you go to Wikipedia, you, you know, just sign up. It's free. Mm-hmm. To, they, but you have to, you know, register an account to uh, be able to edit anything on the website. So, you know, just sign up. It's, it's, it takes, like, seriously 30 seconds. Go there. Type what you, you want to say. Don't rant at them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just be cool about it, but no matter what your opinion is, and just let them know how you feel about it. first episode today is The Man Who Killed Batman, and this is kind of a fun little episode that you really can't just take too seriously because you just have to sit back and enjoy it. Basically what happens is there's this this little scrawny guy called Sidney who accidentally uh, seems to have killed Batman by dropping him off of a rooftop, but... Uh, you know, he didn't want to do this. He was just trying to become a big shot in the mob, you know, just be, just be the, the big man on the block. And, uh, you know, he's just this little shrimpy guy with glasses and just kind of talks in this kind of weird, you know, squeaky voice. And, uh, he, he keeps happening upon worse circumstance after worse circumstance after worse circumstance. You know, he, he, he tries to get help from Rupert Thorne. He gets tangled up with the Joker. And he somehow he survives all of it, and he basically tells his story to Rupert Thorne, who seems to want to hear it, but you know we find out that he really didn't care too much for this guy. So I guess that's about it for a plot summary because we really have to just get into it's really really you know one one thing leads to another yeah. leads to another leads to another leads to another. <laughs> it's just but it, yeah, like I said, it's a really fun episode. So. Yeah. This is this is an episode that I can just sit down and just watch and just just enjoy it. I, I remember you mm-hmm. said that about an episode recently. Which one was that? Do you remember? That was the strange secret of Bruce Wayne. That's it. This is my strange secret of Bruce Wayne, where I can just pop this in. Like if I'm feeling blue and I need something to cheer me up, I can pop in the man who killed Batman and just laugh and have fun. <laughs> that I, and almost got him. <laughs> he almost got him as well. True, yeah. but this one a little more so. Um, I don't think this one is as good as Almost Got Him, but no. you know it, it's it's right up there. But this one's a little more. It's gonna. It sounds weird. Where I think almost got him is better, but I think this one's a little more fun because of Sid the Squid. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, in almost got him. It's it's fun because you have the interaction of all you know the A list villains. Well, Croc being A list is debatable, but okay. So yeah. most of the A list villains and one B list villain. Um, 
But this one, you just have Sydney, who's just this goof, as you said, who just keeps falling ass backwards into everything. And he, he beats Batman, or it looks like he does. He beats the Joker. He set, accidentally sets, sets up Thorn. You know, he gets into a bar fight. It's just so funny to follow the <laughs> misadventures of this one fool. You know, and he knows what he is, too. He absolutely knows that he's just this bumbling fool. He says it at the end. And, you know, you just, you just got to like the guy. He doesn't want to be mixed up. I mean, he wants to be mixed up in this, but he, he did, never wanted to go this far. Oh, no. He didn't want to kill the Batman. No, no. He just wanted to be a big, a big shot. That's it. God, where to start? Right at I the mean, beginning, wherever, wherever you feel well, like it, I guess. Shoot. I mean... <laughs> right from the start, when you when the guy you know when they're walking down the alley of the warehouse district there in the docks and and the guy and he walks he start the, all the three other guys stop in the you know, before the before the corner and he just keeps on sauntering around and the guy goes what the, what the hell are you doing you sh- you schmuck you want to blow the whole operation yeah he just and, he just doesn't get it I mean and that that's what I'm getting at with the guy you know he's just He's never done anything like this, but he wants to make that name for himself, and he's not thinking about the danger he's in. He's clearly just seen this shit on TV or in the movies, and he has that romanticized uh, vision of it. And his head's are, his head is in the clouds, and it's going to get blown off if he's not careful. Yeah, clearly he's a fan of only the first half of Goodfellas. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and you know, and right at, right there where he gets the nickname Sid the Squid, <laughs> the greatest nickname ever. <laughs> Oh man, it's just oh, it's so funny. And when he's, you know, they the three guys that are there, you know, they set it. They want to set him up just to be the bait for Batman, and and he ends up like accidentally kicking the crap out of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets he gets tagged, uh, tangled on a antenna and spins around and just like roundhouse kicks. <laughs> and then after he does it, he's like, "Oh, sorry, sorry." Yeah. and Batman's like, "Back, Back off." off. <laughs> It's, it's just so fun because what's, what's weird is, okay, Batman has admitted in the past, both in this cartoon and in the comics, that one day he's going to go down in battle. He knows that. Um, so, But you always assume it's going to be to the Joker, to Two-Face, maybe the Penguin. It doesn't matter. But you, you always assume it's going to be one of the you know rogues gallery. But it could just be a bumbling thug like Sidney here. And it's kind of fun seeing that for for all intents and purposes. Batman's dead in this entire throughout this entire episode. Everybody yeah. thinks he's dead, and it was kind of neat in a weird way to see just some random schlub take him out. It wasn't the Joker. <laughs> it wasn't Poison Ivy. It was just this guy. And I, I yeah. really liked seeing that side of it and how the underworld would react to and just a see, normal guy doing that. Yeah, and you see Gotham for a night without Batman. Mm-hmm. I think something else that was funny to me was after they think he kills Batman in that bar, you know, he's just sitting around the bar, and they're all like, Sidney, Sidney. How stupid does, do you have to be to walk up to this guy that's being idolized by, an, by a, this mob of gangsters and, and threaten the guy? How, how stupid do you have to be? It's like that, that bothered me a little, because I'm like, okay, we got this bearded thug, almost looks like a human lobo, walks right yeah. up to... Sydney, and he starts, you know, trying to kick the crap out of him, and none of the mobsters pull their guns. I'm like, Seriously? it's a funny scene, but why weren't those mobsters, like, just gunning that fool down? Now, of course, I, I understand, it's a cartoon. But, you know, they can't shoot him to death, but they still could have pulled their guns, you know? But oh, whatever, yeah. it led to a funny barroom brawl, so I'm willing to kind of overlook it. 
Because I, I love that scene, because even the bartender, he just, like, pushes the peanut bowl right on that one dude's head. <laughs> I, even, I, I've always loved that. Even as a kid, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. And speaking of that bartender, is it just me, or does he look like Crispin Glover? I didn't... I didn't... Go, go watch it again. As he's leaning on the bar, all bored, looking at the fight that's going on, look at him. He looks like a b- blonde Crispin Glover. Really? <laughs> it, totally. Absolutely he does. I'm not saying it was intentional, but it's, it's, I see it nonetheless. How about Bullock? You know, to, not to get away from all the funny stuff, but how about Bullock? He was general, genuinely distraught over Batman being dead. And I didn't get that. I didn't understand why he was concerned. I mean, they sort of made amends in the past. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there was the episode where, um, Batman said, you know, I was wrong about you. It's the one, what was that one? The one where Croc tried to frame him. Yeah. I forget uh, the name of that one. Vendetta? Vendetta, right. You know, so there they sort of made amends, and you can assume maybe they did in the episode, uh, like after the episode where Gordon got shot. Remember, mm-hmm. you know, Bullock was gunning for Batman throughout that whole thing, but at the end of the day, Batman saved the day. So you can assume maybe they made amends there, but they're still always at each other's throats. I didn't understand why Bullock was all like, oh, Montoya, there, there's a... Oh, there, there's... A- a de- APB. Yeah. Mm. You know, and he's so sad. I'm like, why is he sad? I mean, he should be jumping up and down with joy. Yay, the freak's off the street, you know? Hmm. I, that that kind of irked me a little, because it, it wasn't consistent with his character. Well, it did lead to Montoya going, Madre de Dios. Yeah. yeah. And even if it's in a foreign language, that's still saying, Mother of God. Yeah, that, that, it's, it's true, but I don't think we needed Harvey being upset to get to that point. I mean, okay, sure, we can't have him come in gloating, you know, so... But, yeah. but he could still, like, not even be bothered by it. Just like, oh, the freak's finally off the street. And well, when uh, Harley Quinn, well, I guess Harleen Quinlan shows up I thought it was there. Quinzel. Oh, Quinzel, I'm sorry. Yeah. Why did I, where did I get Quinlan? I don't know. Uh, good Lord. <laughs> uh, anyway, when Quinzel shows up, and she's, she's talking about the subpoena that she f- may have filed against uh, Bullock. Mm-hmm. Was that supposed to be a small dick joke? Uh, absolutely. Okay, I, I was making sure I wasn't the only one that thought that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> even as a kid. I, like, the first time I saw this, you know, I mean, I'm a teenager, right? And I'm like, she just said Harvey Bullock had a small wee-wee. Like, <laughs> what the hell's up with that? You know, it's kind of weird. But speaking of that scene, or at least 30 seconds prior when she first introduced herself... How does Harley Quinn introduce herself to Harvey Bullock using her real name, and he doesn't get it? He doesn't. Well, I mean, she's been busted before. She has absolutely been arrested before this. She's been in Arkham. She's been in jail. But he doesn't know that Harley Quinn's real name is Harleen Quinzel? Now, he almost makes the connection. He's staring at her hard. You can tell his gears are turning, but they're just not clicking as mm-hmm. they should be. But I still didn't really buy that. I mean, she's in, in the Gotham City Police Headquarters using her real name. I mean, yeah. this is the Joker's hench girl. She has been arrested, and no one gets it. Yeah. I don't know. Now, Bad. this is the very first time she's used her name. So maybe you could say the name wasn't intended to stick. Like they were just playing off a of Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. And they had a different name for her in mind on the line, and this one just ended up sticking. You could maybe say that, but even still, I, well, I think that, that's a even bit of that, a stretch. Well, yeah, it is a stretch, because in Mad Love, they clearly state that she was a doctor at Arkham mm-hmm. before 
before she even met the Joker. Right. So her identity's gonna be out there. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It's just again, it's just it's just a little thing that detracts from this episode, I think. But it's not a major thing because again, it's just a fun episode. You know, you can overlook mm-hmm. most of these things just because you're sitting there having fun. I mean, as as you you pointed out, Harley says Bullock's got a small dick. I mean, yeah. it's like okay, I don't know how they got away with it, but it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small subpoena. <laughs> uh, oh, Harley! But Harley was just on in this episode. Every <laughs> her and the Joker were both on. Yeah, Harley, I'll get the mop. Okay. <laughs> the guy's being chewed <laughs> chewed to pieces by the hyenas. Uh, I love it. Uh, I'm surprised that got in there, too. Yeah, it was another... <laughs> you know, if you look at the episodes that both Tim and Deanie worked on, mm-hmm. there's a lot more of those little lines. And I don't know if maybe they were fighting harder for their own episodes or what was going on, but their episodes were a little more mature in the, when it comes to the subtext. And I, I don't know how they got away with it, but they did. And again, I'm glad they did. I'm not. I'm not complaining about it in the slightest. You, you talking about Harley being on, you know? And I, I said it a second second ago. We have to just like commend Mark Hamill. Like, oh my God! Doesn't that go without saying at this point? I know exactly. It's, it's like yeah. <laughs> but if we didn't say it, someone at the forums or through email would would say, "Hey, you didn't talk about Mark Hamill." So we gotta, oh, yeah. we gotta we gotta praise the guy. But this might be his best performance as the Joker to date. Absolutely, in my opinion, is. I mean, just his whole rant, his whole eulogy, his whole oh god, rant, yes, his whole rant about Sydney. You know, calling him, you know, the what, what does he call him? A hyena he, filth. He basically calls him hyena shit. Yeah, it, it, you know, festering hyena filth or whatever it was. Yeah, and then he's like, "We're gonna put that man there and that box there and put him in that vat of acid and there." there. And it's like, the Whoa. camera angles during that were great, too, with the, the finger in the background yeah. <laughs> and the smile on his face in the foreground. It was just brilliantly, yeah. brilliantly animated I there. The animation there was great. Uh, Hamill was just on. And then the best part is after, you know, Harley's done playing Taps on the Kazoo, which is, oh, my God, hilarious. <laughs> you know, the Joker, he, he sighs, and he's like, hmm, who's up for Chinese? And it's just like... <laughs> That is perfect. That's the Joker I want to see right there. He murders someone, and then he's got an appetite. He wants to mm-hmm. go pick up some Chinese food. That's the Joker. That's the way the Joker should always be, in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. This, this is, is just perfect. Well, this is maybe the first episode they really captured his psyche mm-hmm. perfectly. Mm-hmm. The, the, the one line that says it all is, without Batman, crime has no punchline. Uh-huh. And you can see he looks... You're talking about when they're in the jewelry store, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he honestly looks sad. He's not... He cries, didn't you know? Yeah, didn't you during, he sheds a tear during the funeral. Yeah, he cries. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just so. Everybody's just on in this one. Oh yeah. Oh. God, just <laughs> it was Batman that made me the happy soul I am today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, jeez. What, what I really enjoyed was that that chemical factory where they killed or tried to kill Sydney is the chemical factory. Yeah. where he got turned in the killing joke. And I don't remember if it was Ace Chemical Facility in the original Batman movie, was it? No, it was Axis in was the original Axis Batman there? movie. Okay, but I'm 99% sure that in the killing joke it was this facility right here. So Probably was. Hey. That, that was a little, cool little nod that they gave to Alan Moore and the Joker's uh, backstory there. So, getting back to the comedy aspect, yeah. um, are you really that stupid? <laughs> yes. I am. Really? 
<laughs> just the way it's three separate sentences. Yes, I am really. <laughs> God, Sydney's such a great character. Mm. And what's, do you know the voice actor? I mean, I know what he's done. I know he was Max Headroom. I know he's in that television show on Sci-Fi called Eureka, but I can never remember his name. Oh, Matt Frewer. Okay, because I always confuse confuse him with uh, Dwight Schultz. I think his name is uh, the guy who was uh, played Barkley on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. I always confuse those two guys, so I had to I had to look it up to make sure it wasn't uh, Barkley. And when I mm-hmm. did, I forgot this other guy's name. I just remembered that he was Max Hedrum. So <laughs> she was in The Meaning of Life too. What's that? Money Pythons. Oh, oh, okay. I never saw. Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> yeah, I know I tried. Emails about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Um. Actually, well, I have two, but I'll I'll, let, I'll ask one, and maybe I'll ask this next one later. Um, do you buy Batman allowing crimes like these to take place while he just kind of follows behind? You know, with Sid, mm. he he just kind of follows Sydney around, but all kinds of stuff happens. Jewelry store gets robbed. This guy he gets thrown into a vat of acid, uh, and Rupert Thorne's got his gang's got to be doing stuff all over the place while Batman's gone. I don't know. Yeah, I just, that kind of irked me a little bit. It, you know, that he would just let that happen, even though you know he was trying ultimately to get to Rupert Thorne. I guess maybe that's why you could let it slide, but I don't know. You know what? I see what you're saying. I absolutely do. And if the Joker weren't involved in this, I would say, yeah, I could see him doing this. But the second the Joker gets involved, you know, like he's going to be gassing people and killing them in just torturous ways. And so it, it is a bit of a stretch to think that Batman would let the Joker just run rampant. You know, maybe the mobsters he would, because the police can handle the mobsters. But really, mm-hmm. can the police handle the Joker? No, they can't. That's why Batman's needed. So I, I absolutely see what you're saying there. And as I was watching this, I actually thought, you know, the thought crossed my mind, you know, why isn't Robin seen running around? I would have really loved it if Robin was maybe bumping into the Joker here and there, or we saw him trying to keep up with the crime that was running rampant for this day or two that this story took place, and continuing the act that Batman has really died. And then I would be able to buy it uh, a lot more, because then you know someone's out there doing something. But because we never see Robin, ever, yeah, Hmm. you have to kind of suspend your disbelief there. Yeah, that just kind of irked me a little bit, but... Were you going to say... I, I don't know if you were to say something while I was... No, I was going to ask what your question. second question was. Oh, well, do you... At the end, do you really buy Batman joking with this this guy, Sidney? I mean, he was going to try and help people run drugs. Yeah. That that really irked me, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's just... He's got this shit-eating grin on his face <laughs> while he's joking with this loser. I don't know. That I don't think you can... You can defend. You know what? Here's, okay, here's... I'm going to try to defend this, okay? okay? Tell me if this works. Ultimately, this guy's going to jail. He's not going to put up a fight at all. In the slightest. This guy wants to go to jail. Now he's got a rep of almost killing Batman. He duped the Joker. He duped Thorn. This guy has finally made the big time. He's got what he wanted. And now if he goes to jail, you know, he's... You know, if you're a mobster, you're, there's a good chance you're going to end up in a, in a grave or in jail at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. And if you're a big enough, if you've got a big enough rep, you know, you might be safe. You're, you know, you're a made man, so to speak. Well, maybe Batman figured it was okay to joke with the guy because he knew he was going to go to jail and he wasn't going to complain about it because ultimately that's where he wanted to be. 
I don't know, is that kind of a stretch there? Not not so much, I suppose. I mean, uh, you're right. It is weird that a guy who was running or helping run drugs, because it's flat out said twice in the beginning that there's drugs going on, and when Batman's beating up Thorn, he's, one of his punches, or when he throws him around, I forget what which, which he does, yeah, he says that's, for, that's the drugs. for the drugs. So it's clear drugs were going on in this episode. That's what Sidney was helped running. So then seeing Batman joke about that is a little weird, but... Like I said, you know Sidney's not going to put up a fight. He's just going to go to jail happily. And that's where he pretty much wants to be. That's the lifestyle he wanted. So maybe it fits. But I, I, I will admit that I'm kind of grasping at straws there to justify it. You know, you're pointing out some flaws in this. And I, I have to point out a couple, too. The first is the lip syncing. Oh, my God, it yes. Is bad. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If I notice the lip syncing then it has to be bad, because I just don't pay attention to that. And in this, I mean, oof, it's brutal. And unfortunately, we're going to get to this note in a couple more episodes during this episode. Which episode? Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, uh, Zatanna, for one. Ooh, I don't think I noticed uh, it in there. Yeah, it was bad there. But huh. And some parts of the mechanic, yeah. and, a th- and a lot of parts of paging the crime doctor. Ooh, so yeah, we're hitting that a lot in this one. Hmm. Unfortunately. But we'll get to those later. Yeah. And then there's just some like little nagging questions uh, um, that I have when I watch this one. Like, you know, we see that the Joker has this coffin set up, and the cowl, the cape and the cowl are in it. Well, how did Joker get that? Because wouldn't the police have it? Because Sidney last had it at the bar brawl. Mm-hmm. And then Sid got arrested, and then Harley bailed him out, but how did the Joker get his hands on the cape and cowl to put it in the coffin? I just, it's its just one of those little things in the back of my head that, that I don't know, just like I said, it's just nagging. Yeah, again, this my attempt to grasp at straws here. Uh, are we to assume that the police definitely got the cape and cowl from that bar fight? Well, I mean, how could they not? I mean, Sydney it, it was a, it was a complete chaos in there so you know it could have been buried under something then harley quinn could have come along and taken it who knows i mean you got you got a point there but i don't know because this is okay the the way i see the timeline and i'm completely making this up i have nothing (laughs) to back this up except the episode itself is this right here sid and batman fight on the roof it looks like batman dies and in that process sydney gets the cowl the gangsters figure out that Sidney, quote-unquote, killed Batman, and they have this big shindig for him at that scummy bar. Sidney then uh, gets into the fight with that guy, and everything goes crazy in the bar, and as Sidney's hiding under the table, you can see the cape and cowl next to him. At that point, everybody's arrested. The cops show up, and they all are in their holding cells. Then Bullock comes in, and he says, uh, Montoya, blah, 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 it looks like Batman's dead. So what I'm thinking is that after the cops arrested the guy, or all the guys, and then they were at the bar, they found the cape and cowl, and that's what led them to believe that Batman died at the explosion earlier in the episode. Otherwise, mm-hmm. how would they know that Batman died in the explosion? Because the mobsters are saying he died? It's like, shut the fuck up. They're a bunch of mobsters. Who, what yeah. cop is going to listen to a mobster when they say Batman died? No one. But if there was a, the cape and cowl at the bar fight... After this explosion, and then they're saying he died, you might that might lead you to think that he did. So that's why I think the cape and cow should have been in the evidence locker, because otherwise, why would they know Batman died? 
But well, you sh- shot that theory straight to hell that I had, so <laughs> there we go. Yep. But <laughs> that I'm makes gonna, no sense. I'm going to put a bullet hole straight through mine, and by saying that if Harley can walk straight into the Gotham City <laughs> Police Department using her real name and bail this schmuck out, maybe that one of the Joker's goons roughed up someone in the evidence room and just took it. Maybe. I mean, so you could say that, but it's it's just, like I said, it's... If I have or hell, think, maybe Harley took it too. It's, it's a when she was in possibility. The, when she was in the in the police headquarters, it's, who it's knows? A, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a possibility. But if I have to think that much while watching an episode, I think that hurts the episode in some regard. Even though I still think this is a fun episode, I, I'm trying to. I'm, I don't want to take away from that. But I, I just don't want to have to try to fill in the gaps myself while watching any TV, really. Especially mm-hmm. uh, an episode of Batman the Animated Series. I mean, if I'm watching something like 24 or The Shield, something that's a little more heady, then I don't mind filling in the gaps and trying to figure things out. But Batman, I, you really shouldn't have to do that. One more gripe, well, two more gripes I have with this, is the Joker's face keeps changing. And this isn't a problem just with this episode. It's with a lot of the Joker episodes. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short, sometimes it's a little more human-looking. And when it happens all in one scene, like, go back and look at the jewelry robbery. Oh, my God, yeah, the jewelry store was exactly what I was thinking of. just look at that. It starts out, and it's long, and then we come back, I think, from a commercial break, I think. Isn't there, like, a commercial break there? Yeah, after he says, well, if he hasn't met his final resting place, we'll see that he gets there. Right. That's when the commercial break happens. Right, and then when they come back, his head is, like, normal. It's not, it doesn't have that elongated, almost moon shape. And it's just stuff like that. And then at the, well, at the end of the scene, then it's extremely long. It's a great shot. I like the animation there on the last scene where he says the no punch line. Mm-hmm. Line. It's great animation, but yeah, you're right. It changes too much. Right, and it's just, it's just a little irksome. That that that's all I'm saying. And then mm-hmm. I think the last gripe I have with this one is Rupert Thorne's reasoning, where he doesn't buy that Sid could have bumbled. Okay, okay. In truth, he probably shouldn't buy that Sid bumbled his way into all of this crap. But all of a sudden, he's like. No, you're setting me up! And then he pulls a gun out of the drawer. Why didn't he do that earlier? I don't get that. Is it because he... I mean, you got to figure he's a prime he boss. Wanted, he he wanted to be entertained by a great story. See, <laughs> you know, you could claim that he didn't know all the crap Sid had gone through, but this is Rupert Thorne. He's got guys everywhere. They know everything. So he would have known Sidney's entire story before Sid took one step into that room. So I'm not sure I believe him allowing Sid to come in to tell the story, only to flip out on him at the end. I just, I think Thorne is otherwise a pretty good character, but in that moment there, it's like he just kind of went crazy, just lost his mind. Oh, yeah. I just, I don't know, again, just a little bothersome there. Next episode today is Mudslide, and this is the second appearance of Clayface, right? Second? Mm-hmm. And in this one, you know, the story is actually pretty simple. Clayface is falling apart, literally. He's melting, and he's having to rob uh, some medical facilities for uh, isotopes and various other things just to try to keep himself together. And there's a woman that he's working with who has the money and the means to help 
uh, return him to his former state of uh, Matt Hagen. They try to make him look uh, human again. And, of course, you know, one of these places he has to rob is, you know, what was it? It was uh, Wayne Pharmaceutical or something like that? Yeah, Wayne Medical or something. Yeah, and so Batman gets involved, and we go from there. That's really it. Did I miss anything? I don't think so, really. Okay. It's very, very linear. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do think that this, and I, I told this to you in a uh, private message on our, on the forums, this is the most gruesome episode yet. It is. I remember getting it's, that private message from you, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess so. And then upon watching it, I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, th- just that scene on the train, that alone, oh, when... When the little girl's like, Mommy, that woman's melting. And you see the skin around the eyes just drooping down. Like, oh, my God. It is nasty. Yeah, but they, they even go further in the, the lab, the fight, the lab fight. Ooh. The, oh, with, with uh, the... The grappling hook through, the, through his head, the exit wound. Good Lord. <laughs> and what, what makes that scene is, like, uh, what's her name? It's Dr. Bates or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, Stella Bates. It's her scream when the grappling gun goes bursting through Hagen's head. She, mm-hmm. she's, it's just this mortal cry of terror, you know? I mean, this is the man she loves, and all of a sudden, part of his head has just been blown off, and that really adds to that moment. Had she not screamed, it would still be a gruesome moment, but I don't think it would be uh, as poignant, I guess, because, I mean, she's, she's acting, she's acting, reacting, pardon me, Honestly, to that scene. To, well, to not to mention that... This guy's head go kablooey. Yeah, not to mention that Batman was suffocating inside his body. And then Batman's head coming out the chest and Hagen just pushing oh. it back in. My God! And and Hagen talking about, oh, his heart slowing, slowing. Good Lord. I know, and then it's just, just they... burst out the <laughs> laughter. Oh. And then it all turns to pain. Uh-huh. God, just Hagen just gets mutilated right and left in this episode. I know. And then at the end, he dies. Basically, yeah. I mean, I, I know he comes back. Because this is the last appearance in the animated series. Yeah, in the original things. animated series it is. So, for the remainder of this series, and until his appearance in Gotham Knights, we're to think that he is dead. I mean, because he falls into that water... And it looks like when he comes to the surface that his body is sort of back to normal because it looks, you know, human-shaped. And then it just dissipates. Dissolves. It just dissolves and he's gone. It's like, wow, Clayface just died. And the whole gruesomeness, the whole eeriness of this episode starts with the title card. Because we've got, you know, the the frowning uh, mask. But if Mm -hmm. you look at the shadow, it's Clayface's shadow, like his head. Mm-hmm. And so right there in the title card, you can tell how eerie this one is going to be. And it does not let you down in that regard. Well, yeah, well, that, mask, that mask represents tragedy. Uh-huh. So, And this it, this episode sort of was a tragedy. You almost have to feel bad for Hagen in this episode. Yeah, cause even, I, though, even though he's, you know, he's kind of being a prick here and there. But, well, here's but, so the, is, but so is Batman. So Here's the thing. You know, why wouldn't Hagen be a prick? No, I, I agree. He, I mean, he didn't, totally. He didn't wish this upon himself. He was an actor that fell into a, you know, he, he fell into a really bad situation. He got uh, mutilated in, what was it, a car accident or something? I don't even, how did he get messed yeah. up? It was, I think, God, we debated this when we had the first Clayface, epi- or when we had Clayface, mm-hmm. and, it, and we couldn't figure out what it was that 
caused him to be so disfigured? Okay, well, I, th- I guess it was a car accident. Well, whatever it was, you know, he gets in this accident, his face is ruined. The only way he can get his career and life back on track is by turning to this to Daggett, who hooks him up on this chemical that turns out to be a drug, and then he has to keep coming back to him because he's an addict now, and then he ends up getting murdered, or they, you know, you know, they attempt to murder him at least. Basically. And in the process, he gets turned into a monster. So, you know, it's like, in my opinion, Hagen has every right to just be pissed off at the world. Every right just to be throwing shit around and yelling at people and screaming and just doing whatever he wants. Because he's not... You know, and, that, and that's that's the great thing with Batman's villains. Look at look at Two Face. He's in this Mr. situation Freeze. because he just some really bad luck. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of Batman's villains are that way, but Hagen is is right up there when it comes to like, man, this guy's life sucks. Yeah. Um, so I, when he's yelling, like, you know, when he walks into the room and he punches the TV when she's watching mm-hmm. that old uh, movie of his, right? It's 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 jerky and it's sure it's abusive, but yeah, really. Think about it. Does he want to see that? No, he doesn't want to see that. He doesn't want to see the way he used to look. He he's he's pissed off. Yeah. So yeah, he might be a, a dickhead, but you kind of you gotta look at it from the other side and realize why oh, yeah. he's a dickhead. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And as with most Clayface episodes, this one had some fantastic animation, mm-hmm. just everywhere, and. Uh, I'm trying to think. Alfred again, just on as always. He's an, he's like you know Ephraim's Zimbalist at this point d- give, deserves the Mark Hamill treatment. Yeah, he does. <laughs> this is like Clayface. His integrity is is like disappearing. It's like I didn't, wasn't aware he had any to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, my favorite line from Alfred in this one is uh, he's, they're talking about Clayface, and he's like, "How grotesque." Tea? <laughs> it's like, just, just a slight little pause, and he offers Bruce tea. It's like oh, yeah. wonderful. He just that's doesn't like, miss a beat. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like in the last episode. So who's up for Chinese? Yeah, ex- exactly. That's that's the more sane version of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, how about all the movie references in this episode, huh? Like, the uh, I don't know if you've seen the original Psycho mm-hmm. uh, with uh, the... Bates mm-hmm. and the mo- talking about a motel, right. obviously, she, she, obviously a reference to Psycho, right? Because they say that she, how she got her money to get the facility, mm-hmm. was she used to be a hotel o- owner, and of course her name is Bates, so there's that, uh huh. And then there's the laboratory, which is a reference to Frankenstein. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. And and this, and I noticed this one right away was uh, the when <laughs> Hagen yells, "Stop!" Oh yeah, <laughs> streetcar named Desire. <laughs> Just. I loved it. it was, I loved all those, all the great classic movie references. I almost wonder if them naming her Bates and her being Hagen's number one fan is also a nod at Misery. Because think about it, Kathy Bates plays this crazy woman who gets her hand on her on her you know most favorite author. So here we got Hagen's number one fan, and she's helping out the man she loves. And in that movie, we got Kathy Bates helping out this author she loves. So I'm wondering if there's supposed to be a slight connection there too. So I'm sorry. All that no. aside, <laughs> no, that, that I just wanted to make a note of that just because I love I love it when they make references to classic movies, literature, mm-hmm. poetry, and all that, and you know stuff like that. Because I've said this numerous times. 
I love to catch all those little references. You catch, I know you're you're you you're inclined to catch the references for with comic book mm-hmm. uh, artists and writers and creators, and I like to catch things like the literature stuff, mm-hmm. the literary references. <laughs> Getting back to something I said earlier, didn't it seem like Batman was just an impulsive jackass for the last part of the episode. I mean, he just up and just shuts the machine off. Yeah. No, he you know who knows that machine might be. Keeping him alive, you never know. Yeah. I, and he just shuts it off. I wrote that in my notes. I wrote, why did Batman stop the treatment? Every time he sees Clayface, he's like, Hagen, I can help you. The offer still stands. Mm-hmm. And then when he's clearly getting the help he needs, Batman stops it from going through. What? Yeah. What? That, I majorly deducted a point off that yeah. this episode for that. Now, maybe... He shut it off because he knew what the isotope that they were feeding into Hagen was and that it technically would have made him more powerful. But at the same time, he could have looked normal and he wouldn't have died. Batman let Hagen die. He knew that by stopping that, that there was no way in hell that he'd be able to retain his integrity. He knew that, but he still flipped that switch. Mm-hmm. And that is very irksome. And I am with you 100% when you say you've got to take a point off for that. You yep. can't let that. You There's no excuse for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, and that's what leads up into all that grotesque stuff happening. Where, you know, Batman being trapped inside Clayface while his heart is apparently stopping. Yeah. God. <laughs> uh, what else do you have to th- say about this? Anything else that irks you? Nothing that really irks me. I'm looking at my notes here. Um, no, there is something that I. I it didn't irk me so much, but I had a question about. Now, before Hagen goes and gets the the isotope that's going to save his life, uh, Dr. Bates has a small sample. Where did you get the sample? Yeah. I mean, if it's this rare isotope, you can't exactly order that through the mail. I don't care no. if you're a doctor or not. you you got to have some sort of you know, special clearance to get something like that. Or she connection. Something. And she clearly didn't have Hagen go steal it because he was surprised that she even had this thing. So it's like, how did she get that? And, you know, it's it's just a question you have to, you have to ask. Yeah, it's a question I can't answer. <laughs> um, it's like Poison Ivy and all her domes and her resorts and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> you know, and then there, a question comes to mind. Did Hagen care... For Dr. Bates. Yes. I will, and I'll defend that to the death. You think he did care for her? Yes. Okay, well, okay, I have my... Okay, in the beginning of the episode, I'm not so sure. I thought he was just hanging with her because she promised him, you know, that she could help him, that she could turn him into Matt Hagen again. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, and that's... And think about it, you know, again, it, there clearly is an abusive relationship. And that's some continuity, because we saw when he was with his male lover in the previous episode, he was abusive to that guy, too. Mm-hmm. So he's abusive to everybody, pretty much so. But, well, but like you said, he has the excuse for it. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, he smashes the TV, so again, I'm like, does he love her? Is he just hanging around with her? Is he just being a jerkhead like he was to the last guy? But then at the end, when she, oh my God, I love this scene, she runs at Batman, he just steps away, and she hits the desk and knocks the wind out of herself. And falls mm-hmm. down. She basically passes out. And then when Clayface sees her, he just yells. And, like, he's he's honestly upset that she's been hurt. And that yes. made me rethink my opinion about the relationship. So, I think there were, too ma- there were too many moments in this episode where it seemed like he was being genuinely affectionate that 
uh, for me to think that he wasn't in love with her. I mean, w- when she's watching the movie, yeah, he, he busts the TV and everything, and, but he never strikes her, no. and he, he actually hugs her mm-hmm. and, you know, copies the line from his movie. And I think he meant it. It seemed like it to me anyway. Mm-hmm. And then in the lab, you know, he's... While he's while he's suffocating Batman, he, he he asks her point blank, "Is this what you want?" And she you know she can't answer, and, he, and he's like, "Yeah, that's what I thought." Mm. You know, I think he wants to be with her. Okay, that's just that's my opinion. That's what it, I think. I think that's what uh, they were going for there, as as opposed to the uh, the uh, um, male um, uh, com. <laughs> Uh, accomplice, I guess, <laughs> from his from feet of clay. <laughs> I don't even know how to word that. His I don't even lover. know what that guy was. Yeah, Chaplin's. They were gay. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I will argue that until the day I die. They were clearly trying to show that Hagen and that guy did have some sort of sexual relationship. And I'm not mo- making fun. I'm not, you know, knocking that lifestyle in the slightest. Okay, no. I'm just pointing out that they were clearly trying to put that. Into this that that cartoon into Hagen's origin, it's it's there well, as plain as day. Yeah. Just and as and it's clear that that dude was a child molester and seen oh, yeah. evil. Mm-hmm. Well, and I th- I don't think that Hagen ever struck her either. No, did he raise his fist to her or anything? I don't think so. No, no, and I and I mean like past like before we, in stuff we don't even see in the episode past before the episode even starts mm-hmm. like background. I don't think he ever hits her. He does. It seems like he's he yells at her a lot, probably, which obviously is going to happen to anybody who comes across his path. But yeah. I don't think he ever strikes her. He doesn't. It doesn't seem like that doesn't come off, you know, in his character in this episode. He genuinely seems to care for her because I mean, she seems to be the only person who who wants to help him, even though Batman tries to. He, you know, he's playing. I think when Batman tries to help him, he he he's just playing up the macho. The macho card, you know? Yeah, I think you're right there. But, you know, when a woman, you know, this woman wants to help him, and he remind, and she reminds him of the character from that movie that she was watching, you know, he doesn't want to remember his movies, obviously, but still, you know, deep down in his heart, he, he recognizes it. He draws, the, he draws, like, the parallel. Next on our list today is Paging the Crime Doctor. In this episode, Dr. Matthew Thorne, who is the brother of Rupert Thorne, the crime boss of Gotham City, has has lost his medical license and he wants to become a legit doctor. Uh, But unfortunately, his younger brother, Rupert, keeps him from doing this because it's it's kind of like an, uh, I don't know, an underlying, underlying blackmail because he saved, you know, Rupert saved Matthew from something, and did they? I know they said what it was, didn't they? Didn't Rupert say what it was that Matthew did something really bad, but he covered it up or something? No, what happened was Rupert got shot, and they Matthew uh, helped him out. He took the bullet out of him. But whenever mm-hmm. someone gets shot, a doctor has to report that, and he right. didn't report it because his brother said, "No, no, no, you can't report this. I'll go to jail." So he lost his license because he didn't report that, is ah, what it was. Okay. So his brother, Rupert, is set him up with this illegal practice, is what he's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
uh, as thanks, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better word. But anyway, so he, when uh, Rupert has, I guess he has like a heart attack or something, and he has to have some, like a coronary bypass or, of some sort, and Matthew can't do it alone. He has to basically kidnap Leslie Tompkins to assist him in the surgery, and so Batman has to come to the rescue. Did I miss anything? No, that's pretty much it. Well, I, what do you think of this episode? Now, before we get into our thoughts, I have to point something out. I absolutely have to point this out. Okay, it opens up with um, uh, an armored bank car driving mm-hmm. down the highway, right? Right. Or it's not a bank car. It actually has medical equipment in it. But it looks like an armored truck. You know, like like you would see, like a Brinks truck is what yeah, it is. or a Loomis Fargo or something. Right. Yeah. Now, on the side of it, they play off the Brinks name, and this truck says Dinks. Dinks. That's like a racial slur. That's like a racial slur for Asians. Hmm. Like. I, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even catch that. I didn't even catch the word Dinks at yeah, all. It's, uh, unless I... Every time I see this episode, I see it on there. So unless I've been reading it wrong for, I don't know, 15 years now, <laughs> I'm positive. It says dinks right across the site. And like I said, that's, it has other meanings. But, yeah, the way, like, I know it as a racial slur for people of Asian descent. That's true. So besides, besides that. <laughs> that and it, well, and it also is another word for a penis. So, <laughs> I mean, shit. <laughs> Uh, it was a small subpoena. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but okay, so you asked me my thoughts. I like this one. Um, I'm not going to say I like it a lot, but I, I definitely enjoy this one. And the reason is, is I think it's like, it's, it's, how can I put this? It's a quiet, almost personal episode because we've got this whole thing going on with these two brothers. And then we've got this relationship between Leslie and Thomas Wayne and Matt Hagen. Not Matt, Matt Hagen. Matt um, Thorne. Yeah. You know, we've got that going on. And, and Batman's barely in it. It's like he was just an afterthought. Like they just added him having these fights with these mobsters because they knew they, you know, it's Batman. They have to put him in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, he really doesn't factor into the story. Um, but then we get to the end, and there's that real touching moment where, it, you know, Matt thinks that Bruce is trying to bribe him because that's the life he's lived for years, uh, Thorne has. And, and Bruce is like, no, I just want you to tell me about my father. And it's this whole episode is just really touching, just really quiet, despite the action, of course. And I just feel it's, it's, it's a very personal episode. I can see why people wouldn't like it, but it works for me. It, it really does. Now, what are your thoughts? Because I know you greatly disagree here. Maybe maybe it's just to me that uh, there's so many things here that don't make sense. And Leslie, like Leslie is totally different from her comic book counterpart, at least in my opinion, of what I've read of her. Uh, when she's in her practice, in her office, and Thorne and the two goons break, break and enter into her office... She grabs a baseball bat and threatens to knock the guy's brains across the street. Uh-huh. Okay. No. That, no. Leslie Tompkins would never, ever, ever say that. Ever. And, in No Man's Land. I, I know a lot of people hate No Man's Land. I liked it. But in that, in No Man's Land, the Batman story arc that lasted for an eternity, um, she is treating Victor Zaz in 
in like the makeshift uh, hospital amongst the rubble of Gotham. And Batman it just goes off the deep end, yelling at her, "How can you treat this this bastard?" Basically, and she. And after he leaves, I think I think that I hope I, my timeline is correct here. After he leaves, uh, because the guy is unconscious and he's and she's just treating him. After he leaves, later Zaz awakens and like pulls a knife on Tompkins, and she doesn't do anything. She says, "I will not fight you," you know, and not so many words, but "I will not fight you." Here she's just she's threatening to beat this guy's brain in with a baseball bat, and it's just like, no. <laughs> And that really just off right there. Just I think that was about ten minutes into the episode. It's just like no, that that is not what Leslie Tompkins would say or do ever. If you, um, because she is a pacifist, plain right. and simple. Right. If if you don't want to be disappointed by how Leslie Tompkins is handled in the comic books, I suggest that you don't read War Games. I've actually read. Uh, God, I've read part of it. I just haven't read. Much in, I haven't read much into it. I think I've read part of part one, but I haven't been able to you know, continue it. Do not finish it if you want... If, if you don't want Leslie Tompkins' uh, image to be ruined. Forever. They totally fuck the character up. Big time. <laughs> Figures. Um, you know, I, I'll go into it here. Uh, I'll, I'll bring it up. Okay. Tim Drake, Robin, was dating a girl... Um, uh, by the name of Spoiler. She was... Uh, yeah, I know who Spoiler is. Yeah. So what happens is um, Robin gets fired or quits being Robin or whatever. I don't quite remember. And Stephanie becomes Robin for a very short period. Now, you know, she's she's never really been trained mm-hmm. as, to, to be a vigilante. And she accidentally sparks this huge gang war. Right. And during the, during the gang war, she suffers a mortal wound. And she ends up in Leslie's care, and she ends up dying while in Leslie's care. Batman finds out that Leslie let Stephanie, uh, a.k.a. spoiler, die. Let me repeat that. Leslie let Stephanie die. The reason that Leslie gave Bruce for doing this was that she thought that maybe, like, watching a young superhero die would uh, turn him away from this, this war that he's created. Great jumping Jesus. Think about this. This is the guy who's lost a son in the form of Jason Todd. He literally held Jason in his arms as Jason died. And Leslie somehow thinks that the death of some girl that he hardly knows is going to stop him from continuing his war? And Batman then turns around and basically says to her, Leave the country. If I ever see you again, I will throw you in jail just like every other criminal. And he like lets her go. Um, and I think she goes off to Africa or South America. I don't quite remember where she goes, but she, she leaves. And then here's, here's the worst part about this whole thing. Stephanie, AKA spoiler was a mother. So, so Leslie let a kid become an orphan. She basically potentially just created another Batman because here's this, this, this baby that has now lost her mother violently. I think she had a, a daughter. I could be wrong. It could be a son. But regardless, this baby now just lost its mother to violent crime. And, and Leslie's okay with that? It, they completely fucked Leslie up. And it's not just me saying this. I mean, pretty much 
I mean, your reaction right there, just hearing, just, ugh. Anybody who's a fan of the Batman comics and knows who Leslie Tompkins is knows that that was a complete foobar on the part of not just the writers, but DC editorial. So, there you go. Yeah, and I knew how it ended. I read, I know, I read just the wiki article on War Games, and I knew that she, that, spoiler, sparked the crime, the crime war with, uh, Matches Malone using, using all that shit. And, God, I, but I didn't know about Leslie Tompkins. Wow. Just, yeah. <laughs> just that, wow. It's just so fucked up. It's like, that's not Leslie. Leslie, as you said, is a total pacifist. She cherishes life. She would never do anything like that in a million years. But there you go. They decided they wanted to change the character, and they, they had her, you know, not save a young girl's life to try to prove a point to Batman. Fucked up. Absolutely yeah. fucked up. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, but anyways, let's get back to Paging the Crime Shoot. Doctor. So now, uh, besides her, uh, you know, picking up a baseball bat and threatening these guys, you know, lives, wh- what else did you not like about this episode? The uh, Thorn-Wayne connection. Honestly, it really just reeked of contrivance, and it just seemed to be tacked on to make the episode seem like something deep, when it really, to me, just fell flat on its face. I don't... The end of the episode, where Wayne is, like you said, Wayne is talking to Matt Thorne in the, I guess, in the uh, questioning room. Yeah. Honestly, it, I don't know. It just seemed like, wow, where did this come from? And I know we had the pictures, where it's like to my two best friends, but you know, there was never any kind of backstory on this. You know, it's like, where did it come from? And I don't know. I, I don't know. Just to me. And to me, it just seemed really contrived, and it just came out of nowhere, really. And it was, it's like, I think it's like they wanted it to be a backbone of the of the episode, but they didn't do enough with it to make it that strong. Do you, you kind of see what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe I'm no, not. No, because it worked for me. I mean, as you said, we see the pictures. All three of them were in, were doctors. They all went to med school together. I mean, if you've got... You know, Matt Thorne, who's a doctor, and he knows Leslie Tompkins, who's a doctor, and she knew Thomas Wayne, who's a doctor. It fits the reason that they all knew each other. I mean, would it have been nice if it was mentioned before that Rupert Thorne had a brother who was a doctor that, who you know, knew Leslie and that knew Thomas? Yeah, it would have been nice if that was mentioned in a previous episode, but... I don't know, it just seemed out of nowhere to me. Yeah, it's out of left field. I mean, because, you know, we didn't, up to this point, we didn't even know a Thorne had a brother. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's coming out of left field, but I didn't feel like it was so far out of left field that it hurt the episode at all. I thought, I thought it worked. Um, if I had any gripe in that regard, it's that this is the second time we've seen a mobster, and not just a mobster, but a mob boss, uh, interacting with his upstanding brother. We saw, uh, what was the other mob boss with the uh, beast for a brother? God, why do I always forget his name? <laughs> He's Zuko's uncle. That's what I remember. Oh, God, what is his name? Oh, okay. you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. Okay. And our listeners will yell at us, of course. <laughs> Trust me, I know. Someone's already writing an email. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, that's great. I'm not, I'm not knocking the emails. I love them. Um, but we've, we've had that. And now we have another mob boss with, you know, in this case, I'll use upstanding in quotes, brother here. So, you know, that's a little irksome. It's like, didn't we see yep. this already? But... Break out know, of the mold, people. Yeah. Um. It, like I said, it didn't feel so far out of left field to me. I mean, yeah, a little, but not that much. Well, 
Uh, I have a couple of little gripes, but I know uh, you you've, I, I, you really like this episode, so... No, you, you keep going with your gripes. That's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. These are just, I guess, little things, but this, and this is something that irks me even in real life. Even though it was obviously a ruse, why would you swab a person's arm before you're going to give them a lethal injection? <laughs> why? 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 <laughs> oh, like I said, it irks me in real life because I know they do this in prisons where they give people lethal injections. They swab their arm first. Wouldn't want to give them germs while they go to hell. <laughs> oh God! Just and this one, it adds it. It, it takes it even an even uh, more ridiculous depth because it was obviously a, a ruse. And <laughs> I don't know. And another thing that kind of irked me. This is just the laws of physics guy in me. At the beginning of the episode, Batman, standing in the street, he jumps onto the car, and when it crashes, he just stays there on the roof, even though they clearly were going about 65, 70 miles an hour on that bridge. Mm-hmm. Batman 1, laws of physics, 0. <laughs> it's Batman. In this, in one of the episodes we're going to review, he beats up an airplane. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Batman. It's, it, he, he, physics mean nothing to him. Nothing at all. He can beat whatever he wants to beat. That is that is clearly uh, apparent here. And by the way, it's Arnold Stromwell. Stromwell, thank That's you. It. Oh my I god! I had to look it up. I, I, I fully admit that I had to look it up. Yeah, that would have that would have bugged me all night. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, you know, um, you know, when we're talking about that fight, uh, that opening fight on the bridge, I, I do have a gripe there. Okay, Batman's fighting that guy with the beard who's just shot him with that laser. And then Batman falls off the bridge, and he lands on that, uh, shoot, what are those things called? The cable car? The, okay, or, or, yeah. or the, uh, uh... Ah! The, the, <laughs> those cars that take you, like, a, like across mountaintops. I can't, I don't know what they're called. Right, uh... Because I wanted to call it a cable car, too, but I know that's not right. No, it's, uh... Jesus Christ. Okay, well, you know what I'm talking about. You look that <laughs> yeah. up while I'm talking here. <laughs> and... Now, he, he falls off the bridge, and they're like, no one could have survived that fall. And then all of a sudden, we see we see one of those cars moving along in the background, mm-hmm. and Batman's laying on top. One, how did he get on top of that? Because that thing's like 100 feet like away from the bridge. And, and, and I forgot what my other point was. But regardless, I don't know how he landed on that and how they didn't see him land on that thing. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's like, and then and then, we've never seen those things in Gotham before, have we? No. It's been established that Gotham has trolleys. We've seen that because the Batmobile had to stop one before. Okay, that's cool. But since when do they have those things? Just all of a sudden they're there, and I, I still don't get how he fell on it, and how they didn't see him fall on it, and how they didn't see him getting carted away by this thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> I, um, I have no idea. Now. In regards to the background characters in this episode, have we seen some of them before? The fellow with the beard who pushes Batman off the bridge, I would swear that we've seen him in a previous episode. That's weird, because I thought that we've never seen that guy before. He was just, he seemed like a new goon to me. So, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. You know, I've obviously seen this episode a couple of times. Maybe he's stuck up in my head, and that's what I'm thinking here. I don't know. But, okay... Uh, Matt Thorne has that male nurse that's helping him throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. I am 100% positive that that is the goon from Prophecy of Doom. You know, the beefed-up goon that's helping the fake psychic? Right. I'm positive that's him. Hmm. He's got the same 
nose, the same face. I mean, I think his build is a little smaller. But hell, you could just say he did a little prison time and he, I don't know, he couldn't get to the weight room. I don't hell, know. Hell, who knows? Yeah, but I, oh. I'm almost positive that's him. Huh. Uh, our listeners, go watch that and tell me if I'm right or wrong. James, you do the same thing if you have the time. I, I, I'm, I'm positive we've seen both the bearded guy and that male nurse before. I'm pretty sure I know where that male nurse is from. But the bearded guy, I can't quite peg. I'm just, he just, his design is just sticking out in my head here. Gondola, by the way. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> that would have been my Stromwell in my head the whole night. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to really say about this one, because, like I said, I, I, I said what no, I liked I, about it earlier. I thought it was, you know, a, 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 a slower more personal episode. And I liked the fact that Batman wasn't in it all that much. Mm-hmm. And when he was, he was just doing his thing, just beating up the villains in the background as he was trying to get to, 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 to Leslie, to save oh, no, him. He was getting the crap kicked out of him there, him there for a while. Yeah, so... It, I, it just, I guess concussions can level even the Batman, but a, a gondola can't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it worked for me. It, again, I'm not going to claim it's perfect. I'm not going to claim it's great. But I, I think this is a really good episode. I think it's yeah. solid. And I like the little touches in it. Like when, um, shoot, Bruce is going through one of Leslie's books. And I think I think it's like the yearbook for when they all graduated from yeah, medical school. the med school yearbook. And if you look at the picture of Thomas Wayne, he says you know, to Leslie, like my best friend or something like that. And he signs it Tom, not Thomas. And I like that little touch because it showed you how close, how tight those two really were. And it makes you understand, you know, how it came to be that she had such a, uh, a, a an important role in raising Bruce mm-hmm. after his parents died. Because it's like, wait a minute, you can I can understand Alfred raising him because, you know, he was there already in the house. You know, he was this trusted friend and, and uh, servant uh, of the Waynes. I can sort of get that, but you're always kind of like, Leslie? Leslie? Okay, really? They were, you know, I know they were friends, but were they that close? But then when you see Dr. Thomas Wayne signing this book, Tom, you come to understand how close those two really were. Because well, he's never Tom Wayne. He's always Thomas Wayne. Oh, absolutely. And I never, I never knocked the Thomas Wayne, uh, Leslie Tompkins relationship. I know. I know. I, I'm just saying that Matt Thorne being just thrown in there, it's just like, eh. No, I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that that's one of those small things that helped make this episode for me. Because they could have easily just yeah. had, had someone scribe in Thomas. But no, no, no. It's, it's that little touch that just made it much more personal. That so, I agree with. But And, you know, and I can see why you like this episode. I'm not, I'm not just myopic in my dislike of this episode. Notice I didn't say hate, because I don't <laughs> hate the episode. I just dislike it. Um, but, yeah, I can see why you like it. It, it seems... It definitely seems like they wanted to be a touching episode. I just, pers- I personally just didn't buy it all that much. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, and I can see why you don't like it. So I'm glad we're, even though we disagree on this one, we can see the other's point of view here. Mm-hmm. Um, the the last thing I want to mention is in the past we've both kind of griped that uh, Martha Wayne is like, she, there's like nothing to her. Carbon it, copy of Leslie Tompkins' animation so. design. And in this episode, you know, it ends with Bruce sitting down with Matt saying, can you tell me about my father? Now, people might expect that to have bothered me, but it didn't. And here's why it didn't. It's because it's, it's clear here that Matt, Leslie, and Thomas were all friends while they were in medical school. 
So maybe they kind of fell up, you know, they, they all went into their own practices after that. They all went their separate ways, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe Leslie and Thomas stayed in touch. Maybe they lost uh, touch with Matt there. Um, but regardless, they were all friends at one point. So maybe Matt never met Martha. So I can kind of justify Bruce not saying, can you tell me about my parents? And s- instead saying, can you tell me about my dad? Yeah, because what would he know about Martha? Exactly. He would know, th- he, maybe he met Martha. Maybe maybe Thomas and, and her were a couple. Maybe they were already married. Maybe they were dating, f- engaged. I don't care. But he was clearly going to know Thomas more than he would Bruce's mom. So for those people out there that think, who thought that I was going to gripe about that, I'm actually not. It, it, it worked for me. our next episode, which is entitled Zatanna. Um, basically, the magician Zatanna is in town, and Bruce, we find out, has uh, uh, an old connection to her. He was trained by her father, John Zatara. I believe his first name is John, if, if I'm wrong about that. I apologize. And so he's come to see this show that she's uh, performing at the Gotham Mint, and she is going to make like something like $10 million disappear from the Mint. And, you know, of course, make it reappear at the end of the act. But it doesn't reappear at the end of the act, and she gets arrested. And uh, Batman um, promptly breaks her out of police custody <laughs> and <laughs> takes her on this adventure to clear her name. And it turns out that a man by the name of Kane, I forget his first name, it was M. Kane, that's all I remember. It was um, uh, Mon- Monta... Montague or Montague? Yes. Was it Montague? Montague Kane. He is sort of a uh, he debunks magicians, and he figured, hey, why not make a ton of cash while doing it? And he's the one that actually stole the ten million, not Zatanna and Batman and uh, his magician girlfriend. We'll say have <laughs> to uh, clear her name while bringing justice uh, down on this guy's head. So yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well. I used to like this episode, I think, a lot more than I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I still enjoy it. It's still a, a decent episode, but it has it does have a lot of flaws, mostly uh, superficial in like the animation and the lip syncing. Like I said on one of our previous epi- uh, episode reviews today, uh, the animation really just from top to bottom is just god awful. It really is, and the li- as is the lip syncing. Um, but beyond that, I like the story because you know Zatanna is one of my favorite DC characters. I just I just really dig the character. I like the ma- the uh, I like the ma- the magicians <laughs> like Doctor Fate and, and Zatanna and even uh, Etrigan, who I guess oh, you, can, yeah. you can consider him a sorcerer, I suppose. Well, Jason Blood is at the least. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this this is uh, kind of weird in that this was before Zatanna had real mystical powers. She was just, you know, a stage show in this right. episode. Yeah, only once does she use her backward-speaking magic. Mm-hmm. When she says, uh, uh, she says abracadabra backwards. Right. However you would say it. Carta, and, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, in my notes, I wrote, hey, no backward-speaking. And then all of a sudden, she said abracadabra backwards. I was like, okay, well, there was that. But I just thought that that was like a nod to the fanboys who knew that she did that, and not that she was using real magic. You know, uh, yeah, maybe that was why we never see any real magic is that she, uh, that she was never speaking backwards. Yeah, it's all sleight of hand with her. She even admits that it's all sleight of hand. When when everything goes wrong, she's like, "Hey guys, it's just an illusion. It's a trick." 
she, she's flat out saying, hey, I'm a phony. <laughs> you know, she's not saying, no, I got real magical powers that could really do this. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a little irksome to not see her her actual powers in, in play here because they're a big part of the character. And I, I have to wonder yeah. why um, uh, Paul Dini, who wrote this one and is a huge Zatanna fan, so huge that Z- Dini ended up marrying a magician. Hmm. That's that. Yeah, he married him as, as the room. I mean, he's he's legit married to a magician who sort of looks like Zatanna. I got to tell you, that's how big <laughs> of a Zatanna fan he is. So it was kind of weird that he who wrote this episode didn't put in that more uh, mystical side of her. That it was just sleight of hand. I didn't get that. Hmm. Well, uh, let's see. And then why wasn't she in fishnets? Yeah, exactly. I mean, she she's in nylons, but fishnets. That is Zatanna. Yes. Fishnets, I want them. <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on her, I mean, not on me. <laughs> oh, uh, Except thank on you, Sunday. thank you for clearing that. Oh, never mind. <laughs> uh, anyway, getting away from that. Actually, as bad as the lip syncing was, uh, Zatanna's voice actress uh, Julie Brown was fantastic. Just brilliant. Especially in the flashback sequence, I felt mm-hmm. where you know she's being flirty with Bruce, or she- really. John Smith. <laughs> what a creative name you came up God. with there, Bruce. <laughs> God, Bruce, could you have come up with any worse of an alias? <laughs> but I like their playfulness there, the back and forth that Zatanna and John had with each other. You could really tell that they're attracted to each other, but despite that, they're never going to be together. No matter how much they may mm-hmm. want to, their their lives are going to take them in completely different paths. And um, both... Uh, both actors, both voice actors, did a really great job in that regard. Even though we know that they one day joined the Justice League, yes. But, but regardless, <laughs> <laughs> and she'll try to help him save his then girlfriend Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. um, and turn her back into human form from pig form. Which is <laughs> I can't and, wait till we get to I'm, that episode. And you know that is a guilty pleasure episode for <laughs> me. Uh, what is it? Uh, I, I don't remember the name of that one. Uh, uh, but, yeah, that is a good episode. Just for the ending alone. For for anybody who hasn't seen it, well, we won't say how it ends right now. But, oh, shit, that episode is awesome. Oh, God, yes. The, oh. En- the ending alone makes it great. But, anyway, sorry. We're yeah. Um, tangent again. Um, getting back to the flashbacks, I liked how there was continuity there, too, because Bruce is like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow to head off to Japan. Mm-hmm. So you clearly know where this fits in with his training uh, process. But, okay, why is he John Smith when he's talking to Zatara and Zatanna? But in Japan, everybody knew he was Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I, I don't understand that Why was he using an alias with one and not the other? I didn't, I, I wasn't exactly clear on that. Yeah, I'd have no explanation for it. It makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, maybe he figured in Japan it'd be okay to be Bruce Wayne because... Uh, fuck, I don't know. I'm grasping at straws because what I was going to say, what I was going to say, would require Batman or Bruce Wayne actually to have known how his career was going to play out. I was going to suggest that maybe he knew how big Batman was going to become, and he didn't think his trainers in Japan would pay attention to the American media news outlets. Mm-hmm. And but his trainers in America would of course because of they're gonna be bombarded by it. But that would require him knowing how big Batman was going to become, so that doesn't make sense. So um I won't suggest it. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I just subjected you to it. Oh good tangent there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man. Let's see. 
trying to think of something that another thing that irked me about this episode as much as I I want to like it. Uh, oh, the the uh, the cop uh, when when she, when they're arresting uh, Zatanna. What kind of cop needs an index card with the Miranda writ on it? What? <laughs> the Did guy I had to read it? the Miranda rights from a card. My now, God. <laughs> cops do legit carry, some cops, not all, do carry a laminated card with the Miranda rights on them. I don't know. It's, but, even, I think even I know the Miranda rights by heart. <laughs> and so I think they were trying to add a little bit of realism to the episode, but... You're right. It's when it when it comes to TV, you know, you you don't need to do that in that real guy, life, sure. But yeah, on that, TV, no. Oh yeah, and, and that all, guy didn't TV, look like all a rookie either. To know by heart. Yeah, and well, that guy didn't look like a rookie either. No, he, he looked like he was on the force for about five years or so. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking <laughs> I don't know. of the cops, why were they so quick to arrest her? Seriously, it's like, oh my god, the money's gone, the money's gone, police, police! All of a sudden, there's like a dozen police cars and or a, a police officers and a car on stage trying to just just putting this girl in cuffs. It's like, did we really need that many cops to bust Zatanna with, with their nightsticks? Yeah, good lord, it's like, dudes, you're being a little threatening here. She's just a, at this point, she's just the magician. She doesn't have the mysticism. She's not mm. going to tell you to, your brain to turn into mush. She's not going to do that. She's just going to make mm. flowers pop out of your ears. She's not going to go identity crisis on you. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> now, one of the things I did enjoy about this episode, uh, all, all grapes aside, is the scene in the Batmobile between Bruce and Zatanna. Absolutely. I mean, just how he's like, oh, do you have to phone your boyfriend, husband? <laughs> just, just him fishing <laughs> into Zatanna's life is so hilarious. It's like, because you don't get to see him like that, ever. Not even when, he, when he's with Catwoman and they're having those more tender moments on the rooftops. Is, does he do anything like that? But here, he's he's clearly fishing into her personal life, and she doesn't even pick up on it. She's just like, oh, who has time for romance when you're on the road 52 weeks out of the year? <laughs> it's just so cool. I loved it. Yeah, and that goes back to uh, Julie Brown doing such a great job. Mm. I thought they they really had a lot of great chemistry there in that scene. Uh, it's, <laughs> Batman being the cold, hard ass as always. Well, if you'd like to go it alone, and he just pulls over to the side, <laughs> opens the hatch. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, I'm having a bad day. <laughs> just a great, great scene. Uh, and another, you know, another, I think maybe unsung hero of this episode is Alfred, because he really tries to anchor Bruce to reality here and saying, "Look, yeah, ba- being Batman is fine. Trying to clear her name is fine, but remember, she's your friend too." And that was, that's more of, it's not, it's not something we've seen in a while, Alfred being the, the, the father figure. Yeah. We, we've missed that for quite a few episodes, and, not, you know, they made a good comeback here, and that, that was definitely a strong point of this episode for me. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, he's just kind of the, the almost like the funny sidekick. As, as we said earlier, that's grotesque. Tea? Yes, you know, which is great. Th- there are those moments where Alfred is allowed to be the father figure, like the episode where he tucks Bruce in in the cave. Mm-hmm. I, I forget which episode that was. I think it was the one where he went crazy in Arkham, wasn't it? Yeah, that was uh, Dreams in Darkness. Yeah, you know, at the end, Alfred's just real tender with Bruce, very fatherly with him. And here it is again. As you said, he's like, no, 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 remember, she's your friend, too. You have to save a friend. So, yeah, it, it's as you said, it's nice to see that come back. Mm-hmm. Did... <laughs> Wasn't it kind of weird to have this Montague 
jackass calling him detective. I th- it's like, is this guy Rachel Ghoul in disguise? It's, it's almost like they were testing Rachel Ghoul. You know, like sometimes you'll see writers do that. They'll craft a character and then, you know, they'll, you know, an audience likes that character. They like certain parts of that character. So then they rewrite that character into a whole new character. And that's the one that takes off. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at, uh, you know, in the previous episodes of Earth at the show, I've mentioned that I was reading, uh, uh, one of the, one of, uh, Raymond Chandler's novels and, you know, his, uh, his Philip Marlowe detective character appeared elsewhere under a different name before he became Marlowe. And it almost seems like that's what they were doing here. Like they were testing out how they were going to write Rachel Ghoul and this guy. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but it just, it, it did feel like that. To me. It kind of sounded like him too. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a different voice actor, but yeah. it sounds they, very they similar. They did sound very similar. Um, God, where, uh, how about the, uh, you know, getting back to the the really poignant scene from the past where they were flirting with each other in the training area, uh, the Joker card, that was a cool little thing, wasn't it? It was. I mean, I prefer foreshadowing when it's actually foreshadowing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but... It's cool every now and then when they can add those little hints in there to show you that, yes, this this would have been foreshadowing if we would have told these in order. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's a neat little thing because I forget the exact dialogue and who says it, but someone says, oh, I'm not a fortune teller. Mm-hmm. You know, thus implying that, oh, maybe this isn't your future, but it turns out it really is. <laughs> so it, it's a cool little nod that they threw in there. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, um, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say... Um, you know, they're on this gargantuan German World War II fighter plane. It's about the size of a city, like a Goliath plane or something. And Batman can lift the ventilation flap. <laughs> I don't know what the technical term is. Any, any of you aviators out there, please tell me what... I, w- I was trying to wiki that earlier and figure out what the hell the name of that thing is. Couldn't find it, so please help me out. You're telling me Batman can lift that thing up and down and up and down? That thing is the size of a small city, isn't it? Yeah. And as I said, in this episode, Batman fights a plane. An airplane. Oh, my (laughs) God. I mean, it's one thing uh, in in previous episodes where he's punched a submarine. Because all he did was punch the the periscope. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, fine, whatever. He punched the periscope. Which is a funny, it was pretty funny, too. Right. That was Captain Clown. Right. But in this one, he fights an airplane. And as you said, it's not just a normal airplane. The thing's the size of a freaking city. It's huge. It's like Titanic in the sky, basically. Exactly. And he fights it. Oh, my God. It's so weird. Oh, God. Um, Oh, and while we're talking about that airplane, those two uh, thugs that fall off, they're dead. Yeah, sorry. They die. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the television show Mythbusters. James, are you familiar with that one? Yes, I am. In one of their earliest myths, they tested to see uh, how far you could fall, uh, you know, like, and, and then hit water and survive. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that far. I mean, like a couple hundred, I, I don't even know if it's a couple hundred, it might be a couple of dozen feet, and you're dead. Like, your internal organs just turn to mush because it's like hitting concrete. Yeah. It's like, 
you know, you think the water's going to break, uh, you know, under your weight, but it doesn't. It's, it's actually very rigid when you first hit it. That's why belly flaps hurt so much. Mm-hmm. And these guys don't fall a couple of dozen feet. They fall a couple of hundred feet, if not thousand. thousand. That plane is, like, really reaching altitude there. And, you know, normally when guys hit water, they show them, you know, surface in the, mm-hmm. in the Batman episodes. But I don't think they did it in this one. Did they? I think they did, actually. Did they? Okay, but maybe. even still, you're right. It, it's completely nonsensical that they maybe, would survive there. Maybe maybe I turned away during that uh, portion of it when they, when they came up. But they fell so far, I'm sorry, they are dead. I mean, and hell, even if I hadn't watched that Mythbusters episode where they proved that you can only fall so far before dying when you hit water, I'd still know they were dead. It was too far of a fall. And Montague crazy. himself was talking about how when they hit the, hit the water... Boom! You're dead. Wasn't yeah. he? Didn't he? I I think he. After he tied them up in the chains. And... I think so. You know, in truth, you know, I I like this episode because it introduces a new hero in the form of Zatanna. You know, the flashbacks. You know, Bruce's little. You know, we get a little bit of Bruce's origin. That's great. And I really liked the romance between Zatanna and Bruce. Oh, absolutely. In the flashbacks and in the here and now. But really, the story. Just wasn't anything special. The no. the story now, like I said, the flashback stuff great, the romance stuff now great, but the the story itself, it's like ooh, Zatanna needs help clearing yeah. her name. Yeah, it just and it didn't yeah. help that the villain was just like, eh, he's like a cookie cutter. He was know. a mustache twirler, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was. It to me, it's like it was like Count Vertigo. It was yeah, just like yeah. just this guy, you know. He's like. Huh, who are you? <laughs> and why would he have that rigged room? Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, we understand. Okay, okay, this guy, you know, he busts magicians. So I could understand him maybe protecting himself a little because magicians take that shit seriously, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and they should. That's their, that's their, that's how they earn their livings, okay? So maybe, you know, he, I could justify him having a gun or something because you never know. Maybe a magician goes crazy and wants to hunt him down. I don't know. But to have a trap door that leads to a, a, a room with, you know, walls that compress and have spikes, what? Why is that there? <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense why that's there in the slightest. It's like, the writers were like, okay, we need to delay Batman just for like five minutes. How can we do that? Uh, trap door, uh, a shrinking room with spikes. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> It doesn't make sense, but let's do it. And, Mon- and Montague himself is, even says, contrived, I know. But <laughs> yeah. it's like they weren't even taking themselves seriously there. No. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree. that The story, it, it could have been, this could have been a really special episode. Mm. It, it's like half of it was just fantastic, and the other half was just, eh. Yeah. Not, maybe not bad, but certainly mediocre. Mm-hmm. So... And that disappoints me because I am such a big fan of Zatanna, and I, and how it's because their relationship, hers and Bruce's relationship in the comics, is really strained. Even though they, you know, they should, they were friends so so long ago. After you know, after all the identity crisis shit goes down, <laughs> Batman basically just can't trust her at all. Even though he, she might have been one of the few people in the world he might have been able to trust. Because I remember there's a there was a great line. I don't remember if it was in Identity Crisis or not, but he says, uh, he calls her and, like, summons her for something, and he said, she's like, what do you need? And she's like, he says, I needed somebody I could trust. 
but I got you instead. <laughs> so it's like, wow. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is kind of this was this episode is on many levels a disappointment because it could have been so much better. But it's not a bad episode, not no, at all. No. Um, before we move on, mm-hmm. uh, it was this little piggy. And our final episode today is The Mechanic. Basically, in this episode, the Batmobile is just totaled in a high-speed chase with these with some of the Penguin's thugs. And Batman takes the car to his personal mechanic, uh, Earl Cooper. I believe that was his name, right? It was Earl something. Yeah, yeah Earl Cooper. That was it. Uh-huh. And so the Penguin somehow... He finally this. He gets this guy. One of his goons has a friend, who apparently got the order for all these parts for the Batmobile, and came and he puts it together. Penguin puts it together that you know th- these parts are for the Batmobile. They have to be, and so he tracks this Earl Cooper guy down, and tampers with the Batmobile and puts it under his control, a la Batman Returns. <laughs> so, I think that's about it. Yeah, thoughts. Yeah, just I don't know. It has its moments. Uh, I think on on the onset, I graded this a six out of ten after I was done watching it. But I think as I go as we go through this, I'm going to be docking at points because I forgot about stuff. Um, the, from the very beginning, uh, I'm watching that the car chase. <laughs> God, the animation was bad in that, wasn't it? Where he, the Batmobile crashes into the the exit ramp. No, there's no dent or anything, and it just kind of, just kind of, like, and then goes back around. It's like, it's like they were, t- it's like they were taking a magnet of the Batmobile on a refrigerator and moving it around. It's like, what the, f- what the hell? It was so bad. Oh, uh, but anyway, what are your thoughts? I don't, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start on this. I really don't. I was, I was excited to see this one because it's been a while since I've seen this one. And I remember liking this one a lot when I was a kid. But there was a part of me that knew it wasn't going to hold up. It was, you know, because when I was a kid, I liked it because it was like, hey, we get the origin of the Batmobile. That's really cool. And we get to see someone else besides Alfred helping Batman in his in his war on crime. Hey, that's really cool, too. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I wasn't looking at it critically, going, okay, is this a good episode? You know, does it tell a good story? Is the animation good? I wasn't looking at it like that. And now that I am, and hell, even if I weren't doing that, so if we weren't doing this show and I just happened to watch The Mechanic, I'd go, man, that episode's crappy. Mm-hmm. It's just not really that good in the slightest. <laughs> um, it has its moments, and it's still kind of cool to get the origin of the Batmobile. Yeah, but and at I, the like, same time, I like the Earl Cooper character. I think he's a strong character. I think he could have been pulled off a little better, but for what he was given, yeah, it was it was an okay deal. Because that's, uh, who was it? That was Paul Winfield, Yeah, right? it was. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was cool, but he was cool, I should say. But like I said, it just, I would have liked to see a little more done with him, is, is, is what it is. And at the end of the day, the episode's just, nah. It's forgettable. You know, it's, it's really, it really is forgettable. If this had not been the origin of the Batmobile... It would honestly be forgettable. Oh yeah. Like, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like it's only the only memorable part about this is that it's the origin of the Batmobile. Without that, if this were just anything else, I, I would have been like, I don't even remember this one at all. Yeah. And 
It has some good lines, though. Uh, like Penguin, when he's in his little cave fortress, whatever the hell that thing he's in is. What, what the hell is he in there? Is it a cave? I think it's a cave. Okay. Yeah. He, They're underground. It's all Yeah, underground. he has a great line. He says, Why should, you know, give me one good reason I shouldn't let Percival peck out your eyes. That's mm-hmm. a great line. Mm-hmm. And then his eye is bloodshot later in that yeah. scene. That, that, that's some great animation right there, even though mm-hmm. we have some really shitty animation earlier. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's just I don't have a lot of notes on this one, but it was kind of cool to see the old school Batmobile. Yeah, with that big thing on the on the hood. Like the, the you, that was head. that was year one kind of style, wasn't it? Um, I don't know if he had a car back then. That car is more rep- reminiscent of like the like 1940s. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know if he had a like it's reminiscent of the 1940 comic books, right? But it's not really reminiscent of Year One because in Year One, if if he's driving a car in there, it's always just like a normal car. He doesn't have the Batmobile at that point. Maybe year two or three, mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's an old school Batmobile that he was driving. And what I really liked about that scene is that it's 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 on its last leg. It's like clunk 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 yeah. clunk 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 as he pulls up to the curb and he's just like, I need a new car. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's a great line. Just walks up to this guy in the street and he's like, I need a new car. <laughs> uh, it's um, like you will do what I tell you to. <laughs> yeah. In not so many words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and you know, speaking about cars, I want the penguin's hood ornament. That the little penguin, penguin. top hat. <laughs> I, I'm watching this episode, and Jenny was in the other room. She was typing uh, up up something, and I, I'm like, Jen, Jen, Jen. Normally, I don't bother her when she's writing, but I call her in the room. I'm like, Jen, 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 come here. And she's like, What? And I rewind the DVD, and I'm like, Look at that. I'm like, I, If we ever have a car that needs a hood ornament, I'm gonna go to like a blacksmith or something and ask them to make that. And then she looks at it. She goes, That is pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a regal looking penguin in a top hat. How could you not want that on your car? That would be the most badass thing ever. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just geeking out. I'm just being myself. Well, along those lines, and maybe this is just me being completely immature uh, or immature. Excuse me. Uh-huh. As the as the penguin tugboat goes away, it says Auckland, as in you know the, uh, New Zealand. But it, on the very last frame, when it when it's tugging away, or it's like just tooting itself away there, uh, down the river. The, if you pause it on the very last screen before it shifts to the next train, it seriously looks like it says Fuckland. Really? <laughs> it does. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I know, like I said, I'm being completely immature here, but go back and pause it on the very last, you know, s- animation cell, I guess, right there. Uh-huh. It looks like it says Fuckland. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and now that I've, uh, you know, told you all that I'm 12 years old here, Back to you, Mike. <laughs> well, I'll I'll let out my inner child. How about when the the uh, the penguin's car farted? Like, <laughs> yeah, Jenny, yeah, Jenny was in the room again for this. This time I didn't call her out. She was just passing through. And you know the the the, the penguin's limousine backfires, and then it farts, and she's like. Did the car just fart? <laughs> and I'm like, I just hung my head, and I'm like, yes, the car just farted. Like, it's like he's the penguin. He's a fat guy. There's got to be a fart joke. Come on. I mean, you know? yeah. I mean, and the guy's supposed to be the sophisticated, the most yeah. sophisticated of all Batman villains. Mm-hmm. And he just, he just uh, became, vicariously became the Joker. And, and, and another one here, while we're on these kind of goofy moments, he starts the onset of the threatening of Earl Cooper. He's like, pokes the tire and makes it flat. I'm like, oh, no, not the tire. <laughs> not the tire. Oh, he's trying to be threatening. He's just like, God almighty. 
Yeah, it's, it's like I, I think the only thing he could have done that would have been lamer than that was would have been to have like keyed yes, it. Yes, exactly. You know? With his umbrella. Like, he took his umbrella and just keyed it, you know, <laughs> or just just scraped it along the side. It's like that's the only thing he could have done that would have been lamer than popping the tire. Oh, God, are you are you like some seventeen year old punk in leather with you know fingerless gloves, <laughs> just taking a switchblade to somebody's tire? Come on, man. You. And then he then his car farts later. This guy just like he took his character back about I don't know twenty years. Especially after the the great episode we had with him last time. Yeah, birds of a birds of a feather. God, it's like that episode brought the penguin to a whole new level. At that point, they could have done anything they wanted with him. They could have made him sympathetic. They could have you know how in the Batman comics you know how he is now. It's like he's he's still a rogue, but he's kind of. He kind of distances himself from that. He lets other people do the dirty work now. That's where they could have taken him, was sort of like a low-level uh, mob boss for some of the uh, rogues gallery. That's what they could have done with him here, but they, they didn't. They, they, uh, they fart sh- jokes they, and stuff. Yeah, they Come shit on. all over his character, basically. Mm-hmm. And I know what you're talking and about. Everything like they in, accomplished is gone. Yeah, like in uh, the trade paperback, I... I started reading i haven't really been able to pick it up recently i start a lot of books and just don't finish them i'm bad about that yeah. but it was the uh, batman city of crime which really is has been very good from what i've read so far and penguin makes an appearance early in that series and it's like you said he he kind of distances himself away from it even though he'll still interject the the threatening one-liner towards him like the rat poison line in birds of a feather yeah yeah so yeah it's really sad to see how Badly, they just butchered his character there after how how many levels they took him up in the last one. And how did he... When Penguin gets control of the Batmobile, how does he aim, you know, drive it so flawlessly? Thank you. I just... I literally just um, got my notes right here, and I just crossed it off, because I was about to say the same exact thing. How the hell does the Penguin drive the Batmobile in a parking garage without being able to see where it's going? There was no onboard camera. He didn't have any sort of... Uh, you know, video device to show him where he was driving. There was nothing. He had a remote control. That's it. That's it. With one, That's with it. one, little, right. with one little lever on it. <laughs> right. It's just up that spiral, up that spiral garage. It's like no, that sh- that thing should have been scraping on the walls because it, it didn't even do that, did it? A, a couple of times, but not no, not oh, up, not okay. up, not up the spiral staircase. No, just in. Oh right, that, the bottom. Yeah, he was banging it around on the bridge. Right. But he wasn't doing it up the staircase. No. Or not the staircase, the parking garage ramp. Yeah, Sorry. The ramp, thank you. That's where I was looking. Another one of those moments where I just can't find a simple four-letter word. <laughs> uh. I always got one on the tip of my tongue. Oh, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> For episodes like uh, uh, Christmas with the Joker. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, now, okay, they, they do this really cool thing at the end, and they're like, okay, like... This Batmobile's trash. We're going to get you, like, this new Super Batmobile, and it's going to be, like, this and that. And thrusters. And then we never see it. I know. Ever. Ever. It's, it's, you st- can't say you're going to get a new Batmobile and then never show the new Batmobile. He's still working on it. <laughs> yeah. He's trying like, to find the tritium thrusters. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the bloody hell? It's like, you can't say that. I was so excited when I heard that as a kid. I was like... And maybe that's why I liked this episode when I was young. Maybe that's really it. Not that that it was the origin of the Batmobile. It's that I thought I was going to get to see a new Batmobile. And then in the next episode, there's no new Batmobile. And a year later, there's no new Batmobile. And 15 years later, when the Justice League is on the air, there's no new Batmobile. It's it's like, what the hell? Oh, 
sorry. You know, it's it's just you can't throw a line like that out there and then not deliver. You well, just can't. Well, to be fair, there is a new Batmobile in Justice League. It is, is it is a different design. Clearly, it's clearly a different design in Justice League. Now, I can't remember about Gotham Knights. I don't. It probably wasn't much different, but I know for a fact there was a different Batmobile in Justice League because in the episode uh, Only a Dream, where they're fighting Doctor Destiny, he's driving all around in mountaintops, and it's clearly a different model. Oh, I'll have to go pop that one in when we're done recording. What did you? What, what episode was that? Only a Dream. It's a good episode. Only. Okay, yeah, very very creepy episode, actually. Was that uh, Justice League or Justice League Unlimited? That was Justice League, the okay. second season. Okay, yeah, I'll go, I'll go through that, throw that in when we're uh, done here, because I honestly thought they never changed the Batmobile. Pardon, pardon my mistake there. Um, I don't know. I mean, what the hell was up with the animation in this one? I don't, it was just weak. Yeah, it was. It, except for, I think, the bloodshot eye. We're in the cave. That was cool. Yeah, that was kind of cool. That was cool, but I mean, overall, I just felt like the designs were just terrible. I mean, you know, we got Cooper and his daughter. And I, I pardon me if I what was her name? Was it Marva? Um, yeah, Marva. Yeah, you know, we like their designs were just, especially hers, were just terrible. Cookie. It looked like something they threw together at the last minute, or as you just said, cookie cutter. Just yeah, I, I don't know. It's. I see what they were trying to do here, and I appreciate what they were trying to do here, but it just fell flat on nearly every level. Even Robin really couldn't save this one. I mean, I, I don't even think he had any good lines at all in this one. Oh, no, no, he did have one. He did have one. In the beginning, when the one goon was shooting a Tommy gun at the Batmobile, Robin's sitting inside, arms crossed, unconcerned, and he says, you've got to be kidding me. Or is this guy serious? It's one of those two. And then Batman says, yeah. Go ahead. And then what's Batman say? He's got to be new. Uh, maybe he's new in town. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, okay, fine. I'll give Robin that line. But normally, if there's a weak episode, Robin is able to save it. But somewhat, anyway. This ca- somewhat, right. <laughs> not in this case. He really, really couldn't. That, that one, you know, one line does not save an episode. I'm sorry. Um, now, quick-eyed uh, uh, viewers of this episode will notice a neat little image that they threw into the foreground of one of the flashback sequences. Did you happen to catch anything in particular, James? Uh, not off the top of my head. Which scene, okay. which scene are you talking about? When Bruce, or excuse me, Batman gets out of the car and he says, I need a new car mm-hmm. to, to Cooper, you didn't happen to catch anything? Are you talking about his logo? No, no. Uh, it's, it's in the foreground. It has nothing to do with the characters themselves. Oh, no. I guess not. Okay. the You know, Cooper, you know, he admits that he's on his, you know, he's literally about to become homeless. And if something doesn't change in his life, he is absolutely screwed. And he's walking down the, the windy street. I think it might even be snowy at the time. And the Batmobile pulls up. And right at that moment, there's a flyer that comes zipping by, and it gets wrapped around like a telephone pole or an electrical pole or something. And if you look at it real quick, you can see that it says wanted or reward or something like that. It's a wanted poster, basically. And if you pause it at the, at the right moment, you can see that there's a $1 million reward on Batman. Huh. It's a wanted poster for Batman. Not the Joker, not anybody else, but Batman. I thought that was really cool because it shows you that he wasn't always in good with the cops. Right. That this was a period where he was still battling them. For all we know, when this episode, those flashbacks, I mean, are taking place, Gordon might not even be commissioner yet. He might be Captain Gordon or whatever, lieutenant Sar- or whatever Sergeant. he was. Sergeant. Sergeant, yeah. You know, he, he might be, like, you know, it could be under the old 
regime, and that's why there's this uh, bounty out on his head. It's really cool, and I, I never noticed it before, not in any of the previous viewings. I just happened to catch it, and if you want the truth, I only caught it because I accidentally paused it right there. <laughs> I was getting up, to, I think, to get a bottle of water, and it paused. When I came back, I looked at the screen, I'm like, huh, and then I slow-moed it, and you can see it's like a profile, or a silhouetted profile of, of Batman, and it says, you know, $1 million wanted a reward or something like that. It's kind of neat. You know, and then, of course, it is neat, as we said, seeing the old-school Batmobile, but also seeing Batman in his year one-ish costume with the, with the bat without the oval. Um, you know, he's got the pouch belt, mm-hmm. not the more metal belt that he wears in, the, in these episodes and later on. Um, even the cape is a little different. Uh, there's the scene when he gets out of the car from behind, the way the lines are drawn on it. It's very much the way it looked in his earliest appearances in Detective Comics. So that, that kind of stuff was really cool. But, yeah, that... Unfortunately, it can't save this episode. No, it can't. It really can't. This is just not a good episode. <laughs> uh, and I really don't have anything else to say about it. Do you? You know, just the fact that Batman should have protected Earl better to begin with. Like, you're telling me that here's the guy that builds the Batmobile, and Batman never thought that the parts could be traced back to him? Yeah. He never sloppy. thought about this? Really sloppy. Very sloppy, and as you know, as to, to use the word you used earlier, contrived is is what I thought this was. Mm-hmm. It's like this episode did not need to exist in the slightest. I mean, we could have gotten the origin of the Batmobile completely differently in a, in a whole other episode that didn't involve the mechanic, you know, being forced into sabotaging the thing and his daughter being, you know, taken. You know, being abducted and all this. We just didn't need any of that. It could have been so much better. Well, and, and, and speaking of contrived in this episode, where did that guy come from? The one that gives the penguin all these orders. Where did that guy come from? I mean, I know that they have one of his mobsters just introduces him. What? Where the fuck did he come from? Yeah. How did he get? Like... How did he get those orders? And what stake does he have in this? Yeah. And okay. Well, they say that he's the friends of one of the goons. Yeah, but what's right. weird is that the Penguin's like, oh, it looks like he's been keeping news clippings of every time the Batmobile's been in an accident. Why? Why did this guy do that? What they should have done was had the Penguin with, you know, all those all those invoices and had him with all these, you know, compare them to all these news clippings about when the Batmobile got destroyed and he himself figure it out. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Because Penguin's a bright guy. Uh-huh. He's, you know, he's one of the smarter villains. Okay, so then, uh, going back to the man who killed Batman, what do you what do you score that one? I give that one a seven point five. I just loved it. All the the Joker, the Joker psyche, the look at his psyche, the Sid the Squid, just everything about it was great. I'm gonna give that one a nine. Really? That's how much <laughs> I enjoy that one. Yeah, yeah. I don't, as, I don't blame I said, you at all. I'm just I'm one. I'm I'm thinking. Wow, maybe I should have graded it higher. <laughs> no, you're seven point five. That that's cool. That's cool. You know, like I said, it's just. If, if, if it's an episode that I can just sit down and enjoy and just laugh at, mm-hmm. it's got to get a, at least one, possibly two extra points for that, really. Well, maybe I think, I think maybe it was the questions I asked about, do you buy this, Batman doing this or doing that? I think maybe that was what brought it down, those, those points for me. Um, so then Mudslide, what'd you give this one? I also gave that one a 7.5. Okay, I gave that one an 8. Paging the Crime Doctor? Uh, 4.5. Ooh, ouch. I give that one a 7. Okay. <laughs> that might be our greatest differential yet. Uh, it might be. I'll have to look at our uh, at the at the notes I keep on these. Uh, Zatanna. 
Unfortunately, I had to give it a five, just right down the middle, just because there were. It could have been great, but it was just average. It just came off as average. Thankfully, the, the you know the romance saved it. I gave that one a six, okay. um, because of the romance that you just mentioned. I think mm-hmm. that has to. I, I, I bump it up really for that, and the you know the flashback sequence, and I like in the flashback sequence how young Bruce looks, but he still looks on model. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's much smaller. He's not as bulky. I really enjoyed that, and that that brings it up one extra point from being just kind of mm-hmm. average. So then the mechanic. Uh, three point five. I'm struggling with this. Although one. I might, I might be tempted to give it a four, uh-huh. maybe on a good day. I don't know, but I'll <laughs> I'll stick with three point five for right now. I think I'm going to give this one a three. I was when I wrote when I was scoring this one in my notes. I wrote both a three and a four, and I can't at the time I couldn't decide. But I am going to give this one a three because it's just blah. Later, the Joker held a little memorial at the Ace Chemical Plant. You know what's great about you, Puddin'? You really put the fun in funeral. Dear friends, today is the day the clown cried. (laughs) And he cries not for the passing of one man, but for the death of a dream. The dream that he would someday taste the ultimate victory over his hated enemy. For it was the Batman who made me the happy soul I am today. How I agonized over the perfect way to thank him for that. Perhaps with a cyanide pie in the face. Or an exploding whoopee cushion playfully planted in the Batmobile. (laughs) But those dreams were dashed by the weaselly little gunsel sitting there in our midst. The cowardly, insignificant Garnet who probably got lucky when Batman slipped on the slime trail this loser left behind him. This mound of diseased hyenas who's not fit to lick the dirt from my spats! But I digress. The time for sorrow has passed. It's time to look ahead to a future filled with smiles. And I'll be smiling again just as soon as we take that man there and slap him in that box there. And roll it into that vat of acid there! No! No! I never meant to do it! Help! This isn't funny anymore!
fun. Who's for Chinese? Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss three more episodes of Batman the Animated Series, those being Harley and Ivy, Shadow of the Bat, and Blind as a Bat. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 